Hi, yeah, Chris here. I just wanted to let you know there are a few minor audio issues with some of this week's episode where the Skype line just got a bit choppy in places, but it's not too bad. I don't think it should ruin the episode too much. So just so you know, it's coming. And also, this week's episode does contain some pretty big spoilers for Mamoru Hosoda's Wolf Children. Uh, just so you know, if you prefer to avoid that. And I hope you enjoy the show. Roll music. I've always wanted to say that. Well, hello there, and welcome to the AFA podcast, the official podcast of animationforadults.com. This is episode 15 of our podcast about the world of animation. And I am Chris, and I am joined, as always, by my partners in pod. I am joined here by Dan. Hello, Dan. Hi. How's it going? Is I'm I'm okay. I'm okay thanks, Chris. I I think I I might sound a bit stuffed up, a bit bunged up this week because um, I'm sort of fending off a cold. But otherwise, good. Thanks. I I, don't, I can't really rec- I can't really hear it myself. I'm being self-conscious then. Okay. Well, well, when when we did the interview at Bob was like oh you can really hear my cold and I was like I couldn't <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm just really unobservant um, and Rachel's here hello hey Chris how's it going it's, everything's going pretty good over here in the states so oh. I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to get going and talking about some animation news yeah um, <laughs> this is our first show without a VOD uh, which is weird uh, she's been with us every episode. She's not left or anything. It's just this episode. Uh, we're recording it at an inconvenient time for Yvonne. Sorry. Uh, sorry, Yvonne. Sorry. <laughs> we miss you. We do. Um, but, you know, take a minute. Rest. You're too busy. <laughs> Chillax. <laughs> this is an intervention. <laughs> it's not an intervention. Um <laughs> You notice you you have a podcast edition ad- addiction. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> addiction? No. Oh yeah, that works. <laughs> say say, if you have a prediction and you're, <laughs> you're addicted to audio content, you, yeah, you might like to get a free audio book or or a similar audio programs such as comedy stuff or um, other things that are available from audible.com with a free trial that you can get from clicking on the links on our website underneath the podcast post you will find links to Amazon you can find links to audible.co.uk and you can get one free audio book or audible.com and you can get two free audio books don't ask me why it's different for the UK and the US. I don't know. I guess they just like you guys better. Uh, <laughs> yes. And you can also... I don't know, man. I don't know why. I don't know. Uh, uh, you're awesome. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, but you can also you can also help us out by buying anything through the Amazon links underneath any of the posts on our website. And you can also, if you're feeling really generous, you can always send us a little donation by the donation buttons. But, with that aside, 
we are going to talk today about the films of Mamoru Hosoda. Yes! Yes! Uh, to celebrate the fact that The Boy and the Beast is being uh, screened at London Film Festival this week and has recently premiered in the US as well at Fantastic Fest. And the word on it is very good. So we're going to look back at his other films before Dan here gets a chance to go and see it this very weekend. Lucky. Yeah, yeah, on, on, on Saturday. You must be psyched. I am, yeah. I I I saw Wolf Children um, for the first time at the London Film Festival in 2012, and yeah, it's it was great. It was great. Yes, and they also showed when Marnie was there, and I yeah, they've shown. Um, I think both those screenings were arranged or or basically handled and distributed. By Studio Canal, so that must mean that they, are, you know, are distributing both films. Yeah, well, they've they've basically sometime quite soon, hopefully. They have said that they've, yeah, because they talked about it on their Twitter. Ever they were saying, yes, we've got these films, um, but I've got a feeling that we won't see when Marnie was there in the UK until 2016, sort of. Oh, definitely. No, yeah. I, I think they're probably going to have that like February, March and then maybe Boy and the Beast maybe next summer. Aha, so sort of the time. So the CE came out. I think so, yeah. Interesting. So, if that's true, you're getting really, really early screening right there. Yep, yep. That's how film festivals do it, unfortunately. I mean, last... I think it was last October um, film festival last year. Um, I saw some of the sea, mm. and that was that was quite uh, an advanced screening, given that it wasn't you know it wasn't released in the in the UK until the summer. Yeah, not until July. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was released in America in December, so mm-hmm. I was just sitting there I... going, "Come on, when are you coming out?" <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, but before we talk about Hasoda, we are going to go through some animation news. Uh, there's not a load to talk about this week, but there were a few stories I wanted to cover. Um, one of which is a follow-up to last week's announcement that uh, Wes Anderson is making another stop-motion animated film that we're very excited about. Uh, it has now got some cast members attached, and those are... Um, Jeff Goldblum, Brian Cranston, <laughs> and Ed Norton. <laughs> excited, somebody? <laughs> I'm um, I'm very excited to swallow all those names together in one room. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a great time, so I'm very excited. I'll tell you what, I there was something there was something unusual about the uh, like the voice acting on um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, wasn't there? It wasn't like normal animation. I don't. It was just there was something about it. It had a different quality. Well, the delivery was it was kind of intentionally very deadpan, mm-hmm. right? Is is that what you is that what you mean? But I also think they like they recorded it like not in studios or something. There was something really. Oh really? Yeah, there was like recording it in a barn or something. <laughs> I might be ma- I might be making that up. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but there was yeah, there's something a bit 
odd about the soundtrack and it's sort of I think there's something a bit odd about the, the script I mean mm-hmm. the script the way they deliver the lines is not at all natural it's very that's very Wes Anderson really isn't it <laughs> It is one of the most Wes Anderson films to ever Wes Anderson. <laughs> it's great. I love it. Uh, I'm a big fan of his films. So him him tied up with animation was like, hello, <laughs> and the uh, like the, the the puppets, the way they look at everything, the sort of old school. Like, was this made in 2009 or 1979? Oh yeah, he he always wants you to think that. I think mm, yeah about the yeah. Films, like. He he wants them to have, the, and they do have this sort of timeless quality mm-hmm. about them. Um, yeah, it would be cool, and it would be cool because actually, Fantastic Mr. Fox was great. It was it was an adaptation still, so it, I'm kind of interested in what. Um, and I and I I can only really assume that it got made mostly because it was an adaptation. Is that a dumb assumption to make? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm drawing yeah, like a blank as well, unfortunately. So, so the fact that he has said, "Oh, it's a story about dogs," kind mm-hmm. of implies it's an original story. Otherwise, and... he would have mentioned the source. Mm. Jeff Goldblum says it's Japanese inspired. Did so, he now? Yes. Huh. I'm. I'm thinking when he says Japanese inspired, we're not thinking anime style. I think. Yeah. We're, think, we're thinking. Sorry? Folk tales and... Folk? Oh, yeah, maybe. Um, or maybe it's going to be a samurai movie with dogs. Ha! Ah, uh, mm. maybe. Maybe. Mm. Or maybe it's going to be like an Ozu film, but with dogs. It's going to be really arty. Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd love that. <laughs> like, you know, I, you know I have a thing, and we'll probably get into it later, but, you know, I have a thing for animated films which don't really have many fancy elements and pretty much could be live action but aren't mm. and, if you, and if if Wes Anderson if Wes Anderson makes a Ozu style film of dogs sitting on the floor having conversations with one another whilst they talk about how disappointed they are in in their in their children like, <laughs> that would be fantastic <laughs> voiced by Jeff Goldblum all the um, better all the better. Do you know what? For the longest time, I wasn't actually a fan of Jeff Goblin when I was younger. It was like, and I've like, I have since gone. What was wrong with me? Jeff Goblin is awesome. He's, <laughs> there. He, he's no, in there Jurassic is... Park. <laughs> he's in Independence Day. He's the best thing in most of those films. And yeah. he's in Wes Anderson films. And everyone who's in my Wes Anderson films is obviously awesome. So. <laughs> uh, so Bill Murray's going to be in it probably somewhere. They haven't said that, but let's just assume. <laughs> <laughs> As a dog, probably. Right. Yes, okay, so that's that thoroughly covered, I think. We're very excited about that. Um, also, this week, uh, Song of the Sea isn't done with its award nominations yet. It's It's got another one. <laughs> it's been nominated for the European Film Award. Uh, from the European Film Academy, uh, which is held in uh, Berlin in in December, and in their animation category, they nominated Song of the Sea, Shaun the Sheep, and a um, French animation film that has not been released yet called Adama. 
Um, so I can't talk about the quality of that yet, but the trailer is very interesting. So all I can say is my loyalties are very divided. So I'm gonna yeah, see. it's going to be a tough Join choice. the sheep. Don't make me choose. <laughs> 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 but someone has to choose. The yep. uh, European Film Academy has to choose. There but... can be only one. Mm. So, well done to Tom Moore on another nomination. That's awesome. And also, I'm stoked to see Sean the Sheep there as well because <laughs> I love that film. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned that possibly. Oh, uh, not at all. Not only yeah. like the first like couple hundred times. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad because you guys talk so much about it. I, I'm, I'm so sad to say I still haven't had the opportunity to see it. And I want to see it because you guys talk about it so it, much. But it'll happen one yeah. of these days, I assure you. It's understandable you haven't had the chance to see it because it's not easy for Yeah, exactly. Americans. Yeah, you'll have to rummage to seek it out, but it's worth it. But when, okay. it's, when it's out like on, on DVD or whatever, it'll, it'll be easy to track down. But... Mm-mm. I noticed it was added to uh, Amazon Prime movies. Yes, yes, in the UK. So, right, I will be rewatching that very soon. <laughs> I'll keep my eye on Amazon then to see when, if, and when it gets. Uh, we get a release over here. <laughs> also, another little piece of news is that this year is the 40th anniversary of the Monty Python film, Monty Python and the Holy Grail which is obviously not directly animation-related, but there is animation in it. Yeah. From Terry, Terry Gilligan, who does all the little awesome bits of animation in Monty Python, or did. Fantastic um, stuff. Yes, because that's being released as a special edition on Blu-ray, which is coming out very soon in America and is out now already in the UK. Um, they've actually released around 14 minutes of un- previously unseen animation that was cut from the film and was previously thought lost but has been rediscovered and remastered and given a new soundtrack and it's going to be stuck it's going to be stuck on the blu-ray but you can also watch it online um via the Monty Python YouTube channel I need to find that because I adore the holy grail I I, I basically adore anything Monty Python related, but now that they're if they got this, I always like the animations were always just like cracked me up as a kid. And now I'm mm. looking forward to watching <laughs> watching it all over again and like uh, watch some new stuff too. Yeah, the video is quite interesting because you get it with you get like his commentary over the over the top, and then they sort of play it through without out the commentary because obviously when you get the um, Blu-ray, you'll be able to just play it with or without the commentary. But on the mm. YouTube video, they sort of just. It's like watching, it's like watching someone else control the Blu-ray for you. <laughs> it's like a let's play Blu-ray. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's quite interesting because oh, I've got to stop saying things are interesting. Listening back to the previous episodes, when I do the <laughs> editing, there are certain phrases you really, you really get used to it. You go, oh, I say things are interesting a lot. I also, what's the other <sighs> thing I always say? Uh, I can't remember. If, if, you know, if, if, um, there was one, if, you know, if, if I get, if I'm conscious of that stuff, I just won't be able to speak. So (laughs) I will have to keep saying, you know, and all the other 
weird ticks that that I have, unfortunately. Everyone's got their own verbal ticks, so <laughs> I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, it's just I really noticed it. So when, as soon as I said it this time, I was like, oh, I said it again. There's nothing wrong with being an, in, an interested chap. <laughs> I agree. Um, one thing to note is that um, Monty Python, actually, they were pretty um, ahead of the curve in that they put basically their entire back catalogue on YouTube because they realised that... You're kidding. It's sort of in clips and stuff. And uh-huh. then Monty Python... Because what happened was, everyone put Monty Python clips on YouTube anyway. Yeah. So, they figured... Well, yeah, I don't know exactly who it was who made the decision, but they must have signed off on it. Um, someone must have said to them, look, if you just put all your stuff on YouTube, it'll act... It, you know instead of having anyone stick their stuff up, you can make money off it, and also it might push your sales up, and apparently when, as soon as they did that, like, their sales went up by 300% or something. Nice! So, it encouraged sales rather than, um, rather than it damaged the sales, which would probably be the conventional view of what would happen. Like, if you put all your stuff on, on YouTube, Mm -hmm. then people Mm -hmm. will just not buy it. Yeah, uh, it's amazing how of, much that change that's changed. Mm, that lots of those experiments pay off. Like I remember a few years ago, Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. was getting really frustrated with um, releasing his comedy specials through HBO and pe- not everyone being able to watch them and then being pirated. And he just went, "Screw it! I'm going to offer a download of an MP4 file and a couple of streaming tickets." for five dollars and you can do what you want with it you can torrent it you can share it i don't care just give me five dollars and it paid off and he made a bucket load of money yeah and because it was convenient for people yes so people should do that kind of thing and monty python did that sort of thing and so there's loads of new videos about off the blu-ray i think basically about holy grail brilliant so if you're a fan, you might want to look that up. Now look here, my good man. I don't want to talk to you no more, you empty-headed animal food trough whopper. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. Is there someone else up there we could talk to? No, now go away or I shall taunt you a second time. And there's one other story just wanted to quickly go over. Uh, that is that Battle Angel Elita, uh, which is a manga comic and was also adapted into an anime video back in the 90s. Um, James Cameron has been talking about turning that into a movie for about 15 years at least. Um, and he's always pushed it back, pushed it back. And now he's busy with making a billion sequels to Avatar. Uh, <laughs> like, four back-to-back sequels or something. Oh, Lord. It, it makes all the money. Uh, well, yeah, that's not going to go wrong. People aren't going <laughs> to get bored of that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the opinions on that, on that movie were mixed as it is. I wonder how how people, how the reception of possibly like a bajillion sequels is going to go over. Yeah, it's, it's a bit risky when they make make sequels and they go, oh, we're def- we could definitely shoot two more sequels of that, that won't go wrong. 
Like, like, like with Star Wars. I mean, the new one hasn't come out yet, and they're already filming the next one. They don't know it's going to be a... Oh, sorry. No, that's I, different. I can't carry that on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't... I couldn't make it to the end of that sentence. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's apparently looking like it's going to happen, but James Cameron's not going to direct it. He's going to produce it. Uh, it's going to be... And Robert Rodriguez might be the director of all mm. people which is unusual and unexpected I'd say yeah um, it is he doesn't strike me as the sort of person I don't really know what the project is really about at all but his films are quite they kind of no they they <laughs> some of them are good but like they're basically goof offs and they don't really they're not really about like storytelling or yeah, it's it seems like it seems like an odd choice to me. Yeah, it really does. I sort of admire his work ethic and stuff, and the way he yeah. does things. But the actual films, they're not always great. <laughs> um, but I don't know. If James Cameron has got faith in him. Maybe uh, he's good but... at making exciting films, which are this is gonna... you know, energetic. This is going to be expensive because. James Cameron's involved. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not quite sure why he's so keen to do it. Uh, it's sort of post-apocalyptic sort of world where there's um, all the rich people live in a spaceship or a space station and then there's the there's all the people who live on the ground in the rubbish dump and there's cyborgs and stuff and there's cyborg fight clubs or something. Yeah. Uh I watched the anime like years ago and that's all I've seen of it Um, but as with any of these anime productions we'll believe it when we see it because most most of them haven't happened (laughs) (laughs) and the ones that have happened are are a bit strange at least when it comes to Hollywood at least when it comes to Hollywood uh, trying to adapt an anime storyline is it... When it when it comes to Hollywood, yeah, adaptations of of, of animes or manga series, you just know. Okay, well, I guess in seven years' time, I'm gonna get to see some discarded concept artwork, <laughs> <laughs> like Akira, which seems Akira, to be or, back um, on again for about or, the seventeenth uh, time. Evang- yeah. Evangelion. Who was making that? Was it? Um, it was Weta. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was like a collaboration between Weta and ADV when they were around. The... But we, we already got something kind of like, uh, so it was, no, I wouldn't say too much like Evangelion, but, uh, like we already got your basic, you know, oh. like a tribute to, uh, big giant robot anime. That would thought that was Pacific Rim. Yeah. 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 Pacific Rim is absolutely 100% lovingly borrowing from a lot. Yeah. Love that film. Um, yeah, we don't really need any other anime movies. We've got Pacific Rim. Yeah, and you don't need Ghost in the Shell because you've got Matrix. <laughs> and Blade um, Runner and all that wonderful stuff. Yes. Um, but there was at one point where they, someone actually managed to vaguely make me think that Akira could almost be possibly alright. <laughs> because. Um, and who would that be? 
they were talking about um i can't remember exactly who it was but they were talking about um going the idea was that it was going to be based more on the manga than the anime ah. which there's obviously an awful lot more material to um but they said something about it having a city of god type vibe sort of they were sort of sci-fi city of god or something and i was like oh i sort of go know what you're getting at and also someone that made a um made a point like that you could do it in America mm. and reference you know what's been going on lately like with the with the um uh like the Ferguson situation and stuff like that yeah it's it, it i mean i guess one of the themes i mean the reason it's so popular is the theme uh the central theme of you know sort of lost boys and mm-hmm. not misspent youth that makes it sound yeah. like a like a costume drama it's it's more um but you, do you know what I mean? That sort of theme is always going to appeal, and I think that's probably why people keep trying to adapt it and get it off the ground because it really would make quite a good sort of well, not stand by me sort of mm-hmm. story. But I get the Lost Boys, I guess, as well. Mm-hmm. Another one where it's, yeah, so it has a it has an appeal which is getting people hooked. Mm-hmm. Yes. But we just hope that Tiger and Bunny movie happens. Yes. That I want to see. Like, That's going to be amazing. At least with all the superhero movies that have been coming out within the past few years, I at least I, I at least know that they can get those right. If they can get those right, there's a damn good chance that they could get this right if they give it the right people. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Yep. And that is about all the news we're going to talk about today. That was a relatively brief news segment for us, I'd say. Um, <laughs> and now, the bit where we normally talk about what we've been watching, but we actually haven't got a lot to talk about. But Not I, a lot. I did want to mention that I have been working my way through Rick and Morty, and I have now, like, whizzed through up to... I've watched the first six episodes of season two. Uh... It's so damn good. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I am a sucker for anything that's got like time travel and parallel universes in generally. generally. Mm-hmm. Um but also just like the way it plays with story and stuff like that. Um the the, the I, I yeah, it, that's that that for me is the thing which is most impressive about it is its range. Mm-hmm. It's it's really comfortable being the goofiest, stupidest, like most juvenile thing, really. And then it's equally comfortable, you know, veering uh, into something that's much more like tragedy than, you know, than than comedy with a with a capital K. And again, what I said about it being proper sci-fi, there's like proper sci-fi concepts in there, like yeah, like um, uh, there's one where they meet a race that's just, well uh, a being that is a singularity if you know what that I, is in sci-fi uh, concept yeah. when when the um when the teaser was happening for that i knew like oh my god are they really <laughs> are they really gonna do this because when, when the episode starts it's just like three or four people yeah and then <laughs> and then they visit the planet and it's mm. rick's old flames yes <laughs> 
he went out with a singularity. And and the, <laughs> and the whole joke there is like the singularity is just like on a higher plane of conscience. Mm. Kind kind of a bit like her, if you've seen. Yes. You know, at the end of her, when she's like, "Ah, oh, I just, I, I still like you. I, I, I just can't. I just can't see eye to eye with you anymore." Because I am a singularity conscience, <laughs> and it it made me think. It I it finally I remembered that when I was talking about loving proper sci-fi comedy that's as good at the sci-fi as the comedy or whatever. Mm-hmm. It I actually remembered that when I was talking about them before and I was bringing up examples, I forgot to mention that actually that's one of the things I love about Space Dandy is that they've got proper sci-fi oh, concepts right. in it as well. Um, there's a because one of the things, one of the running jokes is that he's a he's a he's a bit of a ladies' man for to put it mildly for ladies of all species. Um, <laughs> but there's there's one where it turns out that uh, one of his ex girlfriends was a trans dimensional being with no with no like oh. um, form. Oh, right. oh my! He's like ah, oh, he's he's a bit more. Um, there's a bit more to him than you think. <laughs> That's lovely. I yeah. feel I have to finish Space Dandy. Because I... It didn't. It didn't. It didn't quite hook me in the same way. Because th- that's the thing with Rick and Morty is. By the opening credits of the pilot, I was in. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Oh my! It was the funniest thing I'd seen in a long time. It is. It is amazing. I will say. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I would say also check out Space Dandy because just from an animation point of view, it's interesting because um, there we go again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it is. It no, it definitely is. Um, and part of the reason of that is because basically uh, Shinichi is it Shinichi or Shinichiro Watanabe. Um, he basically got all his mates <laughs> collaborated with mm. a job like hey you want to come and work on this for a few episodes and it's just got an amazing um, amazing team behind it like lots of people are working on either scripting or, or design or, or um, animation yeah, yeah just it's got it's like an all star cast yeah it is yeah lots of like guests you know guest animators and things like that and yeah so you end up with episodes that have just got a completely different visual style and stuff and I think um, uh, Saki Yuasa did one is that right he's definitely worked on it um, mm. I think maybe he directed one in the first season yes because yeah, cause they made two seasons like at once right it was basically one of these things where they go it's two it's two seasons but it's got every sign of it being one season cut into two. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, that's how that's how things are produced, though. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so I think you could say it's one season, but it's it's sold as two seasons. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I remember it came out in like April, and then it was like season two coming summer. Yeah, it it was like that. It was. Mm. I think I think it started in January, and then the second season was in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um. Because it aired on Adult Swim before it aired in Japan, which is interesting. Yeah, the really cool thing was that they did a dub. Um, 
Simultub. Sim, sim, simultub. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, they um, worked on the English version concurrently with the Japanese version, and there's even like references in the show to the English voice actors and stuff. Like Johnny Young Bosch is in it at one point, um, <laughs> yeah. and he voices someone who is a rock star who's in a band with Dandy, and like this. It's because Johnny Young Bosch has got his own rock band. Yes, they, he does. And the character is called Johnny, I think. Uh, so, uh. Yeah, so I think they, you know, they base the character around him. So yeah, I ended up talking about Space Dandy, uh, <laughs> which I wasn't planning on doing. But sounds Rick like Morty, fun though. Rick and Morty's awesome. Space Dandy's awesome, and you can watch Space Dandy. You can watch season one and two on Netflix in the UK. Uh, you can definitely watch it on Funimation.com and Hulu, I think, in America. So you can go out and watch it without, well, <laughs> without paying if you've already got Netflix. But <laughs> so check it out, I say. And that brings our opening segment to a close, quite quite efficiently, quickly for us, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Within an hour. <laughs> Yeah, in, by our standards, that's amazing. We were talking for about 20 minutes, so yes, mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. So we are now going to talk about our main topic, which Ooh. is Mamoru Hosoda, or Mamoru Hosoda, or, or Mamoru Hos- Hosoda. Or, or Hosoda Mamoru. Yes, if you're going to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be, I, I might not be like that, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's accurate, but <laughs> it's, it's confusing when people do that. They go, ah, Miyazaki Heo. Like, Shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah, that's pointless. You don't. That's not our system. No. no. It's like people who insist on calling anime that have got a perfectly accepted English title. They're like, no, I'm not going to call it that. No, it's the it's the English title that's selected by the Japanese side of production you're like no no it's not called Attack on Titan it's called whatever it is look SNK whatever it is I don't know what it stands for <laughs> like oh get over it <laughs> it's called Attack on Titan <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't really make any sense because it's not an Attack on Titan it's Attack by Titans so you know <laughs> it's, it's a decent Japanese title because it's in English but it doesn't really make any sense that's what they love. Yep. Like Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yeah. They they love bad English. It's like by now you you thought like oh you know they would have understood they could they can hire people who can just like you know have a quick once over proofread to check for English. But no, they, they, you're right. They must love it. It's I, quite amazing when it's you become just a see staple something. Now. When you just see something in the background and it's like. Was there not anyone who speaks English on the on the site on anywhere? Yeah, I know. In it's the a, premises well, it's a to not spot that. <laughs> it, well, it, sometimes it makes for just the best things. Like, okay, well, I guess to tell the story, I have to admit, like, I watched the K on movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and in the film, they go they go to England. They go to London. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only anime I've seen where. People go to Waitrose. What? Yeah. What? Um, and in um, 
Waitrose is in it, anime. Yeah, Waitrose, the uh, sort of wishes it was slightly more upmarket than it was, but quite expensive and overpriced. Oh, I was in a Waitrose today. <laughs> it's it's closer. <laughs> um. Anyway, and 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 they go, and they go to Waitrose and they get some Jaffa cakes and they're clearly Jaffa cakes. Uh, because you know they have like the same um, logo and everything, but they but but they uh, they're aware enough that they probably shouldn't breach copyright or whatever, so they're called Jeff biscuits. <laughs> Jeff biscuits. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a great name. That's a great. Name. So the whole yeah. film was worth watching for that one moment. For Jeff biscuits. Jeff biscuits. Yeah, but uh, you get that in a lot of anime where they just take. I don't know how many different mm-hmm. versions of McDonald's there have been. They're like. Whack Donald's. Yeah. McDoodoods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 they just change it. Or it's like, oh, I'm going to search on the internet on mm-hmm. Goagle. Or, um. Yee hee! Or one I saw where they, they were, someone went to search for something. It's called Big. I mean. What's that? It's made up. <laughs> oh god, yeah, Spider Man uses yeah. it in No Peter Parker uses it in Amazing Spider Man and it's just the least just takes you out of the film. Takes you takes you right out of the He he's supposed to be like a really you know, he's supposed to be a really cool kid. And he uses Bing. <laughs> uh, <what happened>, <laughs> so actually this isn't a completely irrelevant discussion, I don't think. No, mm. of course not. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> because I think that um, real world elements is something that uh, is part of the identity of a lot of Hosoda's films. Segway! Segway! <laughs> but no, yeah, that's actually one of the reasons I like. I'm, I'm, I find myself really drawn to a lot of his films, you know, whether they're anime adaptations or just, you know, some, one of his original films, is that he really does, you know... If, if it's if besides just you know what we're talking about like look not just locations but also mm-hmm. how people behave like all the like the, how the characters behave like sometimes like uh, facial expressions and so on but it really like it's it feels like they, it has a lot of weight to it a lot of the time like I I would recognize like my myself doing like like a character making some kind of gesture and I like recall like myself doing something very similar on occasion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, he he's his stuff really does have a a sort of tactile quality to it. You're right. And and being an animator, he you know, the best animators observe life as it is and kind of channel that through their work. So so that's, you know, that's why he's one of the greats because he 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 sweats the small details like that. Yeah. Um I think Sorry, Chris. And I think something that, because a lot of people will say, try and um, say, compare him to Miyazaki uh, mm. and Ghibli and stuff. Um, but I think something that really distinguishes his work from Miyazaki's, and it's because Miyazaki isn't actually trying to do this, but um, is that he makes things that are really contemporary as well. Oh yeah, he 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 loves it. He really embraces that. Yeah, um, 
yeah, he makes whole movies that are about technology um, mm. and how people and how people um, live with technology, and it's not an inherently evil thing. It's no. not. It's, it's not inherent. It's not um, robbing anyone of real experience or you know somehow spoiling nature. It's it's just how people live nowadays, and I think that's why he connects with people. Yeah. Um, so I think before we like sort of launch head on into this. Maybe for people who aren't so familiar with his work, um, should just go out and watch all his films because they're fantastic. But also we could probably introduce like who he is and where he comes from a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's great. I'm just, that's a good idea. We just say, go on then. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Um, well, he, he started as an animator, really. Um, like lots of, um, animation directors. Mm-hmm. Um, he was working on TV series like Slam Dunk, Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z. He did like a, mm-hmm. he, he animated on a few of the movies, I think, of Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah, Sailor Moon, uh, I think, what was it? Uh, Sailor Stars, I think was, well, that, that was, that was a, a television thing, I think. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Uh, Super S was Sailor Moon, and I think, I think as far as the movie, the DVZ movies, I think um, the one I'm familiar with, I think was the um, the first Broly film. He yes. was he yeah. was involved in that. I think actually yeah. that's one of the ones I've seen. <laughs> um, and so that was a, a, a Toei, um, yep. which is actually the studio that um, Miyazaki and Takahata started out at um, back in the '60s. Um, but back in the 60s, it was relatively newish studio, and mm-hmm. they were primarily making, um, movies and adapting, uh, children's literature into, they, into TV series. They were trying to do, um, trying to do a Disney, weren't they, in their early Pretty days? much, yeah. They were, they were trying to, um, yeah, they weren't trying to imitate Disney exactly, but I think the higher ups kind of wished that they would. <laughs> and the directors there had other ideas. Um, and to this day, they have Puss in Boots as their logo, because that's one of their early films. It's a fun movie, too, actually. I haven't seen it. No, it, I haven't seen it either, but I would like all, to. All of the early Toei films are really worth seeking out. There's one called mm-hmm. Animal Treasure Island, which is probably Ooh. my favorite. Oh, you've mentioned that before, yes. Mm, I, um, I, I, let me think. Uh, Miyazaki animated a lot of that. There's some great fight scenes he animated in that. And also, um, it has what's, what's kind of considered the most prototypical Miyazaki heroine in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, those movies are worth, uh, sticking out as well. Anyway, in the 90s though, when, um, Hosoda was at Toei, they were making things like Dragon Ball Z and they were just adapting huge um, uh, manga sensations into anime series. Um, and he was there long enough and he started um, storyboarding episodes of, I think he he storyboarded some One Piece. Yeah, um, I think so. And at least one, maybe a couple, like, I think it was a couple episodes in a row or just one. Right. And eventually he got um, the opportunity to direct um, a short 
uh, feature which was going to be shown theatrically um, of Digimon. And the <laughs> first film he directed, I think it's just called Digimon Adventure. Yeah, they, uh, they're basically, yeah, it was Digimon Adventure. Uh, I think both of them were. There was, uh, I think the about 20 minute or some films, uh, or like just a little over 20 minutes. Uh, the first one was the, uh, basically it's called, I think it was the subtitle was Digimon the movie eight years ago, meaning eight years before the kids, the main protagonists of, uh, Digimon Adventure, uh, went on the, a journey and, uh, that they, and met their Digimon in the, uh, television series. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, <laughs> the really weird thing about, about those movies is, I don't know about you, Rachel, but the, f- I gotta be honest, like dead honest, the first time I encountered them was not in their, in their intact form. Yeah, um, neither was mine. I, I will admit, was the um, my first experience watching them was uh, was in the the big mishmash that was Digimon the movie in the dub yeah, version. Yeah, the Fox Kids kind of like worse than Robotech. Butchered it. <laughs> yeah, is that the, yeah? That's more or less butchered you know, it. It's one of those things. Surely not Fox Kids would do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's one of those things for me which. Um, I really, I know it's awful, but I watched it so much as a kid. There are things like really lame jokes in there, which the puns, all the lame yeah, the puns, puns are, are, are are so relentless that you kind of have to love them. <laughs> yeah, I, I will, I will admit that. I mean, because the the show was guilty, you know, the dub of the show was guilty of that too. So when I mm-hmm. remember when I watched the movie, I. Just you know, it was I was used to it. Because I was used to hearing all the puns because that's exactly what the show did. So I didn't think if it was that bad. It was. It wasn't until a lot later that I actually was able to um, actually yeah. had the opportunity to see the films in their original Japanese format. And I don't know. I mean, I just like I thought that was just it was as in terms of just being film or just being just just better piece of entertainment. <laughs> Yeah. Because oh, it didn't cut down all the best bits. Like one of my favorite uh, bits was for the um, in the the second half or the second uh, short film, um, our war game, where it's in like the climax of the movie, and you have the you know the big Digimons defeating the the main antagonist. And in the original short, they had this really lovely operatic you know choir singing you know this love very lovely piece as you know the, <laughs> yeah. as the as the climax went on whereas in the actual digimon movie they just kind of put a random rock song over top of it and just like uh i kind of like the operatic bit better oh well, hmm. yeah that was that was done in the spirit of hey we'll get some kids to buy some cassettes or cds yeah i know <laughs> which is you know what they did for the pokemon movie as well but exactly but, that, that's, cause that's what they were trying to do mention that is one of uh, so uh, D- Digimon Adventure the first 20 minute short that he that he made you know the music is a really big part of that he uses um, Ravel's uh, Bolero as yeah like, yes he does as like the only music in the whole film and it works so well and it's things like that which really make him a distinctive and you know, it's, it's something. Things like that make the make the short um, feel like it has a voice. 
It does. It really does. And it feels distinctive and special, not just, you know, something uh, that was quickly put together to help sell some Digimon um, uh, Digivice toys. Yeah, little Tamagotchis and all all the merchandise that was coming out for Digimon at the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, it just felt very organic, you know, just kind of... Like, you know, there was, I mean, there was still, you know, it's still Digimon product, but at the same time, like, you're right, it's, it felt like it was just trying to tell a story, not exclusively tell, sell toys. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he was, he was fine with it, um, you know, being, being what it was, but you can tell he's not interested in Digimon, he's interested in, he's excited in, in, in that film, he's excited about getting to direct something and, and flex his, his muscles and, Find mm-hmm. out what sort of filmmaker he wants to be. So it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of weird and kind of cool that such a commercial, um, short film that's kind of insignificant had such a, an effect, um, on his filmmaking entirely, I think. I think it's, there are things that he was doing in that which he, he still does, um, today in his, in his latest films. Um, yeah, definitely. And sensibilities which are there, you know, which kind of um, stuck. Uh, yeah. Because they were good, not because he was lazy or didn't develop or anything. No, I mean, like, I know I've probably said this before, um, I think either on a review or a podcast, but, uh, you know, those two shorts definitely would, you know, affect his, you know, you know movies late, late he would make later on, especially, uh, you know, Summer Wars. Like so, you could draw so many compar- comparisons between Summer Wars and our War Game, which was the second Dizzy- Digimon oh, short. He's, he, he's outright said that it's a prototype, and and he's outright he's outright said that it was borrowed things, um, yeah, from from that short. Mm-hmm. And that was and that uh, was totally fine with that because it was it, I actually was kind of really you know touch that, you know, he took, you know, he probably enjoyed making that movie so much. It's like, okay, well, I'll be able to do my own thing with it. You know, I, I take a lot of inspiration with it and then just kind of put my own spin yeah. on it without, you know, having to do the Digimon brand, which yeah. was great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he, exactly. And things like that, he finds, he, what he was figuring out there was how to find, uh, how, how to put his stamp on things. Mm-hmm. And whether he's adapting um, work like with Digimon or kind of semi-adapting it, or um, the girl who leapt through time, um, you know, adapting uh, a novel and kind of riffing on it and kind of retelling, but cutting it a little bit. Um, I, I think that's interesting because it's something that. Um, it's a sensibility that Miyazaki had as well. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, things like Kiki's Delivery Service. That was a whole series of novels. And then he sort of adapted them all into one film and really made it his own thing and used the novels as like a jumping off point. Um, like he did. Yeah, with... we, I think we discussed that with um, Howl's Moving Castle was like that, I think, in our previous podcast. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, talking about that. And... As much as, uh, as you were saying, Chris, people compare him to, to Miyazaki and 
there are lots, you know, you can just, you can find so many people touting him as the next Miyazaki for whatever reason. Um, and as much as you can roll your eyes at that, I think, um, Miyazaki and Takahata definitely had a big influence on, on, on his filmmaking, I think, his, his career. It's hard not to, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. Um, so, uh, but, but just going back like, to the Digimon adventure, sure. Um, I'm not sure if it's actually available uh, in outside of Japan, unfortunately. But you can watch it yeah. online because you can. <laughs> it's 2000. That's YouTube, so... Yeah, I, I, that's basically like when I, um, cause I first saw both of those shorts in their original format when I was in college. A good friend of mine, uh, basically, you know, told me about them and how, you know, they were originally supposed to be and how she, you know, she had found a place online where she could see them and then I just like, and then just showed it to me and then, I'm, and that's where I got my first impression. It's like, wow, this is actually way better than what I watched when I was a kid. It was something, it was something hmm. really different and it had, it had some edges to it that were that were shaved off, kind of understandably. Um, so basically, for everyone thinking, "Oh, what you're talking, you're getting excited about like the Digimon shorts." Um, well, first it, I'm going to say it's Digimon. Excuse you. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, but you know, you could think that. And really, what the film is, it's just about kids. Living in in modern um, Tokyo, living in a in a tower block of apartments, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, these these kids are sort of just wandering around the house as their parents have gone to work, and you're you're with them, at, and it, it's, there's not too much plot, really. Which which, which are you it's talking an, about? The very first one. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, it is. The, the plot for the first one is relatively non-existent. I think the main purpose of it was basically to show why it's though just those kids and no other ones that end up being the ones that go to the digital world because there was a whole mythos with that. I think in the uh, in the series. Okay, right, right. Um, but I mean, so, I argue that 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 Hasod is not interested in that. I think that's incidental, and you can probably you. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably there, and he probably was contractually obliged to to do certain things with it. Yeah. But he takes so much care to um, to realize the world. There are so many details um, going in just just within the apartment building that you're in. Uh, mm-hmm. There's so much care put into how a cooker looks, or pots hanging hanging in in the kitchen, or or different patterns that they'd have um, on the sofa, things like that. And actually, f- later on in the in the movie, what happens is um, these kids encounter a, a digi egg, and it hatches, and it turns into a little um, first evolution of, of of a Digimon, and then Coromon. Sorry, Poromon. Coromon. Coromon. I'm yeah, sorry. Then... I'm 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 a Digimon. I'm fanatic. I know what their names are. I'm sorry. Digi Destin. <laughs> I um, I, I'm I'm gonna do really badly with the names. Sorry. It's <laughs> all right. Um, it's all right. And really, the so 
one of the climaxes of the film before it ends is is with um Coromon turning into Agumon. Mm-hmm. A very uh, large Agumon at the, at that. Larger than the, yeah, any exactly. one of them that you see later. And it's paced like a damn horror film. It <laughs> the, the the kids ha- have have this have this new pet which suddenly falls ill. It turns really white and it starts making odd noises. And at the same time, mum comes home and um and because the whole film is sort of like in the kids' world, the parents are sort of you see legs and things, or you see arms, and you never really see their faces. They're just there, like yeah. a like a presence. And 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 um so what happens is in the sequence they're 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 petal and their mum starts saying, Oh, dinner's ready and then she said, Oh, dad's home and their dad comes home and he is like a, a typical sort of like Japanese salary man type. He's <laughs> he's been working very late. He comes home and he's drunk. He's clearly yeah, drunk. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, kids, I about he goes that. to the kids' bedroom where they have this pet which is ill for all they know is dying. And he starts trying to open the door and he says, Oh, I want to give you a good night kiss. And he's like hammering on this door, trying to pull the, um, trying to pull the handle and tie the sort of like, um, older brother who's still quite young, about five years old at this point, I think. Yeah. Is, is desperately clinging onto the door handle, trying to stop his dad from coming in. As this is happening, the, um, the sick Digimon under the bed, bed sheets starts to grow and the bed sheets <laughs> fall off and there's a giant dinosaur and it sounds like the craziest thing in the world and then of course the um uh 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 is it Kari? Kari I think that's her yeah her uh her her name's Kari I got a name right and then uh, Kari the little sister yeah and then the little sister Kari jumps onto the uh onto the um dinosaur's back and they leap out the window <laughs> And it comes to the shot of, of a, of a car, which is like an identifiable hatchback car. And it looks like a very naturalistic shot. And then suddenly this, this, this huge, um, dinosaur crashes on the car and just flattens it. <laughs> um, and it's a really, and then, and then it turns into sort of like a, um, almost like a Totoro sort of moment where, this giant monster's running around the the streets with, with a, a small child on his back. With a child on his back, and they sort of they they go up to uh, vending machines, and um, and and she's like, "Oh, let's let's have a drink." And the dinosaur just like um, smashes its claws into the vending machine, lifts the whole vending machine up, and cans just rain down upon them. <laughs> but um, so like, what's happening in that sequence is 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 remarkable because. Like anyone who really understands fantasy, they, I, I think, sort of really gets that fantasy can only exist when there's something really mundane um, happening. Conversely, yeah, like Song of the Sea, we were talking about that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Tom Moore happens, and yeah, yeah, and um, other people who really get it are people like Brad Bird. Brad Bird does it all, does it all the time. Actually, um, The Incredibles is all about mundanity. And fantasy. 
they have a really terrible, you know, not terrible, but a, a very boring looking sort of white picket fence life and they're superheroes. Um, and Guillermo del Toro gets it as well with Pan's Labyrinth sort of happening, um, uh, against the, uh, the Civil War. Yeah. Um, but who knew that you could get so excited and also that a Digimon movie could be that thoughtful when it comes to the filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and he was really, and it was, it was so cool that he was given the space, um, and the freedom to do those sorts of things. Um, and, and the world he creates, it's, the worlds, all the worlds he creates, um, feel very real. In fact, for the Digimon Adventure, um, movie, the one I'm talking about, the short, he actually scouted real locations and used, um, uh, photographs as reference for creating the backgrounds. That so is there fantastic. were, the reason it feels like a real place is because they are real places, um, that he's just gone out and found and imagined, oh, okay, well, th- this is, this looks like a good place for a Digimon to fight. Um, or this looks like a good place for, that looks like a, a good car to be smashed by a giant Agumon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I was a bit long-winded there, but I think it's kind of important to watch those films if you like his work. Because they really are his his creative um, starting point. They really are, and I mean, I, one of the things that I remember stood out to me the most. Uh, I think it's what one of the things like I keep saying the most that just stands out to me the most of his films is how he animates a movement of characters. You know, whether they be you know you know normal looking or you know exaggerated. Um, especially like I think it was the. Um, Kari herself, you know, since she's only like, and she's <clears throat> very young. Like, well, so you said Ty is about like four, like four or five, and I think she's only like a couple years younger than him. But she's, you know, she's yeah. able to move around quite a lot, and I just love the way he captured her movement and then the fact that she always had that whistle in her mouth, and you could, you know, always hear when like she was moving around, you could hear her like kind of occasionally like just kind of blowing it while she moved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a cowbell. Yeah, and I'm just like, yeah. oh, it's kind of. No, that was a that was a lovely touch, um, and yeah, he really does. He, you know, like um, like good animate animation directors should. He really loves animators, and he's he spends a long time, you know, casting his his films, um, animators, and working with some really. Um, uh, some really, really good animators. And incidentally, some animators which um, have pinged back and forth on Satoshi Kon and Miyazaki and Takahata films. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely shows with the uh, with his various uh, movies that he's done in, in the, especially in the recent, you know, past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, but there, but there, are, there are lots of lovely moments, like, like the way Kari jumps down from a chair and, and <laughs> yeah. struggles, like in the way that a kid who's not tall enough to do that really, but still manages it, does. Who's only just grasped the concept of walking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then, after Digimon movies, he spent some time at Studio Ghibli. 
Yeah, it was, but... it was pretty much like, so he, he, I think he caught the attention of them, um, mm-hmm. through these, through these shorts he, he made, um, at Toei. Uh, and, but also I, the fact that he, he borrowed from, um, Ghibli's pool of animators, some animators like Kenichi. I'm gonna go, okay, I'm gonna screw these names up, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like Kenichi Konishi and Hideki Hamasu, um, who are, uh, who, who, whose, whose names can be found in the, in the credits to lots and lots of Ghibli movies. Um, I'm pretty sure they probably like recommended him and he was, he was, he was, he was a known directing, um, talent at that point, certainly. And he was at one point supposed to be directing Howl's Moving Castle. But as we know, that didn't happen. And No, it didn't. And no. I th- I think if you're looking at his career, you can't really ignore that part. Because as someone who was clearly influenced and inspired by Ghibli and Takahata and Miyazaki, you would assume that, you know, working on a couple of... Um, commercial shorts he was he was in he was in some ways like destined for Ghibli mm-hmm. um, in in terms of his development and it's still not clear what happened there um, the, you can actually see some of his storyboards he did Fowl's Moving Castle um, online because a few years ago there was a there was an auction site um, the the auction site Man- Mandrake, which is like the Japanese oh. eBay. Yeah. Someone got a hold of some storyboards and sold them on there. Um, and the images are flying around the internet, so you can find them. Um, it's only a few pages, and I think it's it didn't get um, further than introducing Sophie, really. Um, mm-hmm. But his vision was clearly going to be much more modern than Ghibli was used to at that point. This was yeah. around the time that Spirited Away was still in production um, that he was brought on um, to be considered for directing House Moving Castle. And I, some there were, there were lots of rumours flying around about what happened there and what he did. One of the rumours is that he actually got as far as producing part C of the storyboard, which is... Um, so when animated, uh, when anime movies are made, they're actually made like four, um, TV episodes in split into four parts and the storyboards are produced that way. So he actually did two, um, uh, three quarters of, of the storyboard before he was replaced, hmm. um, by Miyazaki. And, there are lots of rumors about, you know, he didn't get on with the staff and he didn't understand the significance of, of, um, checking layout and things like that, which is just rumors. So you have to ignore them. <laughs> but the fact that he was, you know, clearly headed for Ghibli and then he ha- had to leave would do something to his creative development. And, um, has anyone here read uh, the uh, Miyazaki books? Um, the essay. No, unfortunately, not. 
they're they're really interesting. They're worth seeking out um, because Miyazaki talks about his creative development a lot. And one of the key mm-hmm. points in Miyazaki's creative development is he says very clearly, "Oh, everyone used to say that my my drawings look like Tezkas. Mm-hmm. and um, I really." I really hated people saying that because I, I felt that I wasn't him. And, and yeah, even when I tried my hardest, people would still say, Oh, you must like Tesca. And apparently he burned all his drawings that looked like Tesca's. Um, <laughs> and oh, he boy. said, and he said very plainly and, and clearly, I parted ways with Tesca. And there are, there are lots of points throughout his essays where he'll say, Oh, Tesca's animation was so cheap and he didn't like animation. He was a comic artist who should never have got into animation, things like this. So as, as much as Miyazaki parted ways with Tezuka, I think that Hosoda parted ways with Miyazaki creatively when he left mm-hmm. Ghibli as well. And that's probably why his next film was so different, I think. And that was, mm-hmm. which, which film was that again? That was the girl who leapt through time. Ah, yes. What about the the where, where does the One Piece film fit in? It yeah, because that was right before the uh, that was the year before the girl who leapt through time, I believe, right? What a screw mm-hmm. up I am, of course. Okay, let's <laughs> and that, That's the film that people say is based upon his time at Studio Ghibli, or as being okay, suggested. that would make a lot of sense. I always but, forget this film because it is I, so commercial. It is a one piece movie. It's not. It, I, I don't actually often think of it as a, a soda film. But it, it, it definitely. Right. But it, no, it definitely is. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at the I mean, the animation alone, and uh, it, you know, it, it definitely has this. You know, his style is everywhere. And it actually, I thought, the really fit, like, the whole funny. crazy One Piece, you know, world very well. Yeah, but, it really um, does. Yeah. I remember the first thing that struck me about the opening, you know, was of that movie was, in fact, the opening. When the, you know, Luffy's pirate crew finds this, liter- quite literally, a letter in a bottle, you know, inviting pirates to come to this uh, island. And then, you know, Luffy says, okay, that sounds awesome, let's go. And then the next, like, I'd say, like, maybe four to five minutes of the opening is basically just, you know, watching the boat sail, you know, to this island. And, you know, most of the, like, openings for, like, some of the, uh, you know, in One Piece in general and and even the movies are, like, normally really high energy and really exciting and, like, you know, happy. And you're watching the crew, like, you know, like, Mm. make hijinks on the ship or whatever whatnot and there's some of that but it's mostly just watching the ship sail and like you know in like these like clear calm blue waters and it just it was really beautiful <laughs> and i'm just like wait this is one piece right right yeah and it, it that's exactly so okay now you understand that's exactly my reaction to watching his digimon movies is you go this is almost too good to be in a digimon movie <laughs> <laughs> Which is a stupid thing to say because, you know, why can't popular um, commercial films be high art as something which was, you know, a completely original concept? But mm-hmm. but, it, but it is remarkable. Well, in its way, in the same way, 
Castle of Cagliostro was also part of a big franchise at the time. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and, and is a very Miyazaki film. Mm, and mm. is much more of a Miyazaki film than a Lupin film. Yes. If you Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah. To the point the creator doesn't like it. <laughs> he's like, This is not my Lupin. He's done of the shining. Yeah. He's not enough of a pervert. He's... <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And he's actually too nice. Actually also this is the only One Piece movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I'll admit that as well. I mean, I've seen it bits is, and pieces from the other and, ones. And the reason I saw it is because it was I knew it was a host soda film. <laughs> really? I just... I... <laughs> my, my, my story with finding this film was kind of interesting because I just... I was looking through, like, you know, synopses of, like, the various films that had come out at the time, and then I saw movie six, and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of like an interesting thing. And I just... It just happened to be a hosted uh, a hosted film, uh... and... And then I just started watching it, like, wait, this is One Piece, right? And I keep watching it, getting into the comics, like, no, seriously, this is a One Piece movie, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it is, um, it is, it's, it's kind of, um, I think really commendable that he was given the creative, um, freedom to, to do that. And to make it have its own tone. Oh God, so much, so much Which of its own I, tone. I can't even. I I can't think of that happening today. So much with like a Naruto movie or something. I can't think of an equivalent. I'm struggling. Yeah, like with, yeah, there's uh, with yeah. Not, as far as Naruto, like Naruto is not like because eh, I wouldn't say. Because, I mean, the movies, uh, from what I've seen of the Naruto movies, have been, you know, some are good, some are not so good. Because I, I'm not sure how much of that is, you know, the creator just trying to have fun with it, or just they have, they're obligated to do, you know, I to think, do certain I think things it's that. They have to back out, like, one a year, <laughs> whenever it was. But yeah. It, it, well, I, I guess the only, I guess the a comparison is maybe something like what Nolan did for the Batman yeah. Like, it, it was so popular. Everyone's going to see a Batman movie. Everyone's going to see a One Piece movie. So you may as well do what you want. So long as the characters have the right names and they basically behave the right way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I have to say, I haven't... I haven't seen that particular movie as yet. I've seen a bunch of the other mm-hmm. um, One Piece movies. And quite a few of them are not really that great to be honest i love one piece but the some of the tv the movies are a bit well a bit ropey in places well, but because it's basically it's basically just a longer episode of the series because that's one of the the things about the one piece is the fact that it's always you know you could have eight you know each every episode is like in you know a different adventure story or um you know with a different area of the world that we have yet to explore and the movies can do that just as well, you know, if only for a little bit longer than an epi- typical episode run. Do you happen to but know like, what Oda thought of it? What? Oh, no, I'm asking. I don't. Because I'd be very interested to hear what he thinks of someone taking a very distinctive approach to his baby. I'm not hmm. sure. I would have to... I, I, actually, I, I, wonder if, I wonder interview. if he still thinks of it as his baby. Because it's so huge. Mm. 
Like, does he even own it anymore? He he just doesn't have any time to think because he's a he he's creates a um lost. a Shonen Jump show, so he doesn't have any time for anything. No, he's just gotta get. He's just gotta draw, keep draw, draw. He has, he has. It seems like he has just enough time to decorate his ridiculous home. <laughs> have you seen his home? No, I have not. I, I might have seen some pictures. Google pictures of like his his studio and his home, mm. and it's the most decadent brilliant place I think this is why like the creator of Naruto now it's finished is like ah, I just want to die <laughs> <laughs> like what are you doing next and he's like sleep he's gonna no he, isn't he gonna be doing his um his mafia series what I don't know mafia okay in in Naruto volume like six you know, you know how in between chapters there'll be little um, extras here and there. Well, I think okay. I think in one of the in one of the early books, there's a drawing that he did of a character, and he said, "Oh, here's a character from a from a mafia story that I I once imagined. Um, I'd like to do it one day when Naruto finishes." <laughs> I think I think at that point it was like, you know, 2001, and he didn't imagine Naruto to go on quite so long. <laughs> well, really, basically, the... you can tell from just looking at the the story. The life of a manga artist of someone of yeah, a sh- like a Shonen Jump scale thing of that success is, yeah, I, f- I think. I think Oda keeps being ill because it's just like it keeps going. One piece is taking a break because Oda's knackered himself. <laughs> just it's just like it's... does it use the... <laughs> no, it doesn't use that. It says poor his health. That's really weird to say. Oh, cool, blimey! Oda's knackered himself up. He right has. <laughs> there isn't going to be any. Yeah, those. Because Shonen Jump are well known for their cockney phrases. You may as well go spend the afternoon down the bookies because there ain't no luck today. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, if we ever run into trouble and we are stuck for ideas which are going to make no money, then a Kickstarter to translate Shonen Jump into... Into cockney. Oh my god, I would check that out. Yes. If both our lives go completely tits up <laughs> and cognify beloved Shonen manga. Hey, I, I think there'd be quite, a market for that. You'd have to like get find out what the um you'd have to make up rhyming slang for words like ninja and stuff and ninjas, you... I think ninja's okay. Ninja's alright, but you know, like the names would have to go. It would be, you know, Nathan and Stuart. <laughs> Nathan. This continues to become both a terrible and amazing idea all at once. And the Hokage would be like, you know, that wise old bloke down the pub. The governor. The governor. The governor. The governor. That's okay. Okay, we we gotta we gotta. Um... Courtney Naruto <laughs> coming soon. We gotta we gotta call this before before it takes over the episode. <laughs> Yeah. Alright, we're on One Piece. Remember, we left off on One Piece movie. For Christ's sake. 
<laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, so, um, have we done One Piece? Um. Well, so we were talking about how it was just definitely like, even though it had the, it was carrying the One Piece brand, how it was definitely had its one feel, yeah, you know, its own feel to it. Like not just from the opening, but uh, anyone like myself, like I keep, I keep referencing the climax because it's so damn what? unforgettable. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's really, it's incredibly, um, yeah, it, it goes far. <laughs> It goes, yeah, it goes, yeah. I, <laughs> That's I all I can be really say to that. The manga box set is a 15 as well, Chris. What, sorry? The, you know the manga box set, I'm pretty sure that's rated 15. Oh, because of Hosoda's one, is it? Really sure, it's pretty gnarly at the end. Yeah. Oh, wow. Stuff the BBFD would of... definitely wrinkle their noses at. Definitely, <laughs> but, um... I don't know. I mean, it, it definitely like it, it that definitely added to the film's you know kind of singular identity. But <clears throat> and also, mm-hmm. what really fascinated me is like how all of that, how both like you know everything that happened in that movie had like led up to like this one singular theme, and it kind of like the the which kind of shocked me. Well, like, like at least of all, all the themes that he you know he chose to go with and try to like you know make into this film was the fact that you know. Bad things can happen to people you care about, and, you know, it's okay to be sad about it, but, you know, don't let that keep you from, you know, making connections with new people. Mm. That's the, that's what I took away from it. And, and I don't know, it's like I've never really seen that done in, at least, at least of all, like, a shonen piece, Mm-hmm. Because they're all about, you know, Nakama and, you know, all that. And yeah. so. And th- that's, you know, he, that's a great director again, that says to me. You know, someone who, who wants to, to deal with those mm-hmm. themes in his films. Mm-hmm. Yep, and they let him do it in the One Piece movie. So. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a good movie, check it out. So then. So then, then. then. Actually, well, okay. If we if we're gonna be thorough, which I think we should, he <laughs> directed a an episode of a TV series, which I have not seen, but it is called Ojumajo Doremi Dokan, and I think it oh, oh don't worry me that's, oh, at least that. in English it's known as magical like don't worry me something. Okay, so he directed an episode of that. Which, interestingly enough, really strongly resembles his next feature film. So, this is like the thing that's happening throughout his his work again, where uh, um, our war game, his second Digimon short, strongly yeah. resembles Cyber Wars. Uh, an episode of t- television he made um, in between One Piece and The Girl Who Left Through Time is kind of a prototype of the girl who left through time. That's really cool. Which was his next movie he made at Madhouse. I've seen that one. Yes, Chris, <laughs> join us. I could join, join in. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so bad up until now. He's just been like, oh yeah, Digimon. And he's just been like, cool. Digimon, one piece, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm a slacker. So like Madhouse, <laughs> it's a weird thing about Madhouse being a thing because that was a studio that really supported its creators and produced mm-hmm. a string of really director 
um, driven movies. Um, and very different director driven movies as well. Yes. Because exactly. Yeah. And they really. You've got Hosoda coming out there, you've <clears> got <throat> Con coming out there, and you've got like. Um, is it Yoshiki Kawajiri or how the um, Ninja Scroll guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, also, um, yeah. So exactly, it's it was a it was a director's studio and a really good place for a soldier to go because damn him, he has a distinctive voice he he has to use when he's directing, and uh, I think that's what the girl who let through time is. Again, another distinctive really film which has a strong voice to it. Um, well, what are people's impressions of it? Uh, well, it was. A, I believe it's actually my first, my first experience with Osida, because um, when Summer Wars first came out in the UK, they released a a little Blu-ray box set with. Go ahead, every time in Summer Wars. So I figured I'd pick that up because I hadn't. I up to that point had been slacker and hadn't seen any of his films. Uh, so I got that. So that was my first experience of watching it. And at the moment, I haven't seen Boy and the Beast, and I've I've not rewatched the other two a lot. Uh-huh. But at the moment, I would say that the Go Ahead, Every Time is my favourite of his films. Um, I just love the love the feel of it and yeah. the mood it creates and everything. And also, I did say that I am a bit of a sucker for time travel. But <laughs> it's it's not it's not a sci-fi movie at all. It's it's um, time travel in the sense it's closer to Groundhog Day than it yeah, is. Yeah, it's not to... interested in showing the mechanics. Yeah, it's just yeah, the it consequences. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interested in showing what would actually a teenage girl do if she had the ability to travel back in time. Well, she'd she'd be better at her tests, and she'd try and get her friend together with a girl. She'd do this. She, you know, she wouldn't use it for really serious things. She'd use it to she'd avoid awkward yeah. situations. Yep, she'd go back to get some extra pudding, that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, it's very fresh in my mind because I rewatched it before the podcast. <laughs> oh right, yeah, and just it's just got this. It's like got this real sense of nostalgia to it as well. Even it's impressive when you can get a sense of nostalgia to sort of it's something that people say about my neighbor Totoro. Something is that you say you feel nostalgic for a summer, you know, a childhood you never had. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was talking about this sensation um, with a friend of mine in the weekend. We were talking about how the best movies kind of do that. Mm. Um, I get that watching Lord of the Rings with with Hobbit. You're with, not you're nostalgic for the times when hobbits lived <laughs> lived with, under yeah. the hills. Pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually. So I only watched the bodged Fox Kids Digimon movies. I wasn't so aware that they were Soda Pieces. And actually, kind of like you, Chris, my first like proper encounter with Soda was The Girl Who Left Through Time also. 
And I saw it like the year after it was made. So I think that I think it came out in 2006. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, 2006. It was just a year after the One Piece uh, film. So that that which came out in uh, 2005. <clears throat> so right, right. So um, yeah, I, I saw it about like the year after it came out, and I was 17. And I was just the right age to be watching, you know, high school anime. <laughs> and, uh, I had been watching, like, lots of, lots of anime around, around that age anyway. Um, and yeah, it just, it just hit me at exactly the right age. <laughs> um, she had the same problems that I did with, like, school and, you know, like, weird, weird crushes and and things things like that and i think that's that's part of its appeal um and part of its timeless appeal is that i think i I think movies about high school are kind of timeless as it is there's some timeless quality to high school movies even if they're you know john hughes ones from the 80s or Mm -hmm. or from the you know or clueless or something from the 90s it's there's something kind of out of time about them anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's I, that's why I think it's it's still a really popular film. And um, friends of mine who aren't really into anime will tell me that they've seen it and they thought it was an amazing film. And mm-hmm. that's again for me why it's a, it's a standout piece because it's 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 a film more than anything. It's not. And, 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 and I guess I, I'm kind of getting into trouble saying things like that because I'm not trying to put value judgments on those words, but they're inherently kind of are, I think. And for me, The Go Who Left Time is, is a film before it's an anime film or do, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to remember that that there are lots of people who will who get annoyed if you suggest that anime is cartoons. No, no, it's different. No, it's no, it's, no, it's, it's anime. It's, it's separate things. And you go, yeah, but it's a cartoon. No, it's not. <laughs> anime and cartoons are different things. Yeah, and they're mainly probably like people who are fifteen. Whatever, and they've just got into it, and they're like, "Oh no, no, Naruto is really sophisticated <laughs> and stuff." And you, go, and you go, "Yeah, relatively, <laughs> in comparison to, it's fun, it's great fun." Yes, but it does some interesting things not... sometimes. Sometimes, but but it's not like the most. It's not the wire. No, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So I know what, I know what you're saying, mm. and 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 also I think so. At, at this point, um, he had parted ways with Ghibli. Mm-hmm. I still think he was very influenced by their approach, and I can't help but think of um, Whisper of the Heart um, oh. when I think of Girl Who Left Through Time as well, yeah. because it's a similar sort of high school's you know, shoujo story that's that's really touching, but as you say, relatively light. She doesn't 
she solves her problems. She doesn't solve the world's problems. Mm-hmm. Which was, I think, kind of refreshing. Just have just kind of a bit of a small, like, even though you've got this, like, ex- extraordinary yeah. circumstance with the time traveling, yeah. it's still a small-scale plot. Mm, like, mm. There's something very cosy about the film, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's sort of per- perfect. It's, like, basically, like, the last summer before graduation or whatever. It's, like, so it's, like... Mm. It's like a moment in time. It's like that. I must have. I must have actually been exactly that age when I first saw the film as well. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it had a really strong effect on me. And I probably didn't even realize that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> but I've. I think, and just it, it's just like the the world that's created in the film. You just feel like it's real <laughs> yeah it, it, it just, totally you is could, you could you could just walk into like like you could walk into that park and it's it's there yeah and yeah exactly and and just like small moments like there, mm. there's there's a shot where they're sort of just walking underneath the tree and the tree is sort of like grown over and it's casting sort of dappled shadows mm-hmm. as these three people just walk home and there's yeah, there's something very tactile about that, and it kind of goes back to um, what Rachel was saying about the Digimon. Really, was even from then he he was he was um, observing how people really behave and how they mm-hmm. act. And the teenagers in this film behave like teenagers. They're kind of clumsy in the way they do things, and you know, like, the boys have a kind of swagger to their walk and things like yeah. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. <laughs> um, and, and also, I'm pretty sure this film as well is, is um, like, Digimon based on real places and uh, he paid he paid attention to details of... Um... And like, like the K-On! movie too, eh? <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 Trose. <laughs> Oh, I don't they like go to don't they like go to Piccadilly Circus and stuff? Yeah, they do. Oh, when oh, they, go to, yeah. they go to um, South Bank, and it's quite interesting to watch from that point of view. But yeah, I think from a UK perspective, it's yeah, like don't, what? Get me, don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing his films. No. <laughs> <laughs> I should have never mentioned I even watched that. <laughs> but um, so from a filmmaking perspective I think that The Girls of Electric Time is his first um, piece which is uh, in the tradition of I, I don't I don't really know how to say this any other way but it's in the tradition of Japanese cinema family dramas mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, and it, he sort of he, he was allowed to yeah, he had he he had full freedom to pace the film how he wanted, and there are lots of shots which are just allowed to just be there. As we were saying, oh, the, the yeah. things where it's just the three characters hanging out, they're just walking home, and he really takes his time. And um, the pacing of the film is very different to his previous work. It's it's um, there are some really exciting parts. And some really rapidly paced parts, but lots of the film is just allowed to just be there, and you're 
allowed to just sort of sit there with these characters in rooms or and 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 things like that. And I think that is something which he's pretty much stuck with throughout Summer Wars and Wolf Children. Yeah, you you see both yeah. you see a lot of that in both of those films, and it you know it but it doesn't get old. It, it's you know it, he does like a fresh twist on it in each new film, and so even right. though you you'll recognize that mo you know that kind of motif going through the you know through those other films, you know you will still get wrapped into the story and the characters and just you know mesmerized by how you know he continues to really like capture this. You know this rather you know both surreal and uh, familiar, uh, you know image of what life can be. You know how life is. Yeah, yeah. And you know he just, you just keep watching the films because you just love seeing that and how he continues to you know add new twists, supernatural or fantastic twists on it. Yeah, when I because I, I literally watched it yesterday, there was um there was one. I had a similar thought to what you were saying, Dan, about like the scenes that are just, you know, quiet, sedate, not really, they're just there. Yeah. Um, there's literally, there's some shots where there's a cloud and it lingers on the cloud and there's, I think, you know, you hear characters talking or whatever, but um, it would be so easy for you to go, oh, that's that's just saving money. They're not having any characters on screen at that moment or whatever. But I realised quite a while ago that that is a Japanese. It's it's come from Japanese films. If you watch a Japanese film, yeah. there'll just be a, a bit where there are two two characters and they're talking or whatever, and the camera's just static for ages. And I it takes me back to in Evangelion actually, where there would often be like great big sequences like where someone's in a lift or whatever and they're talking and they're going down and for the longest time I would just think oh they're trying to save budget this is so cheap but then I, I realised it's two birds with one side it's, <laughs> it's actually also it's also a stylistic choice right. as well mm-hmm. and one of the um, one of the things that tips you off to that is those bit they've done the like the rebuild of Evangelion movies the big expensive big budget remakes and those moments are still in there right when they don't they don't need to be for budgetary reasons because yeah and incidentally there are there are um there are shots like the ones that you're mentioning in later sort of films in wolf children there are shots of clouds mm-hmm. and yeah. he will actually animate the clouds in um using after effects and the clouds would be broken yeah. down into 15 or so layers and using like a using a transform effect the clouds will actually slowly billow outwards oh wow and and it's it's really subtle but it's it's there if you watch wolf children so he he does pay attention to that stuff and like you're saying yeah it's that's a that's something that ozu did you know um, mm-hmm he has those shots in his films and and it is a very Japanese thing to do and he is he is a very Japanese um, director I think we are so sophisticated we <laughs> referenced Ozo like two or three times <laughs> so even if we did talk about Digimon for like 20 minutes we're still talking about Ozu so get us well he's not as, he's not nearly as okay yeah he's not, he's not as formal as Ozu 
Um, <laughs> I think he's actually a lot like um, uh, one of my f- favorite um, contemporary Japanese directors, uh, whose name I'm not going to remember. Uh, he's 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 that much my favorite. Um, <laughs> Hiro- Hirokazu who um, has made films like his most famous ones are Still Walking and I Wish and Nobody Knows and Like Father. Oh, I've heard of And them. Like Father Like Son. Hmm. Um, I think the way that he just um, directs drama is quite similar, and he, the way he lingers on small moments in life mm-hmm. is quite similar to his stuff. But but anyway. Um, but I, 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 that's kind of irrelevant, but also kind of not because uh, I think he's in many ways more influenced by live action directors like that. That yeah, animation. Um, he's actually um, Hosoda said himself that he's the film he was most influenced by um, was Spirit of the Beehive. I'm not, um, I'm not familiar. It's a film from the 70s, which I've only really heard referred to uh, um, by film school students. So it's either incredibly good or incredibly boring, or maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> like like Ozu films. Uh, uh, so I'd be interested to watch that film and see what he means by that. Me too. Whether, it's, whether, it's, whether he's borrowed sensibilities of pacing or things like that, I don't know. Well, something that Miyazaki has said. I know I keep talking about Miyazaki, but no, and, and I think he's hard no, to avoid. I, I, think... I know he is, but also it's um, as 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 I was saying earlier, it, it, there's a tension in that. Mm-hmm. I think he's parted ways with Miyazaki, but Miyazaki was a big influence on him. So you kind of. Talking about like his development as a director, you can't really avoid such a huge influence like that. Yeah, something that Miyazaki has said is that a problem with modern animators is often that they they're influenced by other anime or other animation or whatever. Right. Whereas he says what you need to be influenced by is life. He says that you know don't 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 just watch anime. Go out mm-hmm. there and see the world and and sketch that and things, and I think with Hosoda, that you know that's he's influenced by live action and, and life. Oh, and plainly, yeah, the but the, 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 yeah, there's a sense of um, well, just slice of life in in, in mm-hmm. his in his um in his films, but created to such a exquisite extent where. Mm-hmm. The rooms, the people, the, people's homes just don't look like showrooms. They look like places yeah. that are lived in, where the, you know there'll be parts of doors which look quite warm or things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, sorts of, even though they're quite insignificant, I think including things like um, modern appliances uh, or or the way how something is really packaged, like the pudding mm-hmm. in yeah. Going Back Through Time really adds up to a lot when we're trying to recreate yeah. another reality. I'd, I'd just like to point out 
I, I think I should say to any of our listeners who haven't seen The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, um, and if you're in the UK, you can basically get the blu- the the Blu-ray from Amazon for like five pounds. Nice. <laughs> and it's the um, the uh, the DVD is even cheaper. It's like two ninety nine. It's so a good Blu-ray as well. I think have... it has a commentary. Does it? I'm pretty sure. Ah, uh, that's a shame because the um the the two the um the Blu-ray you get with the um, double pack has got nothing on it. That is a shame. It's a pretty good commentary as well. He talks a lot about um the animators and uh, the production. Yeah, it looks absolutely gorgeous in in high def. I don't know, you know, how easy it is to get in America at the moment because. Funimation release. Uh, I believe they did. Yeah, I think it's like it's um a lot of uh, uh, Hosoda's films. I think were uh, Funimation uh, released them. So I think I mean mean, I've got the I've got the DVD right here. So let me just like take a quick look at it. Um, actually, another small part of not a small part, but a significant. I see Bandai Entertainment, but not much more than that. Oh, then it obviously (laughs) wasn't. Oh, if if it's Bandai Entertainment, then you might not be able to get it, uh, <laughs> because they're not around anymore. Yeah. Um, so, oh, but you know what? You can probably you could import it from the UK, probably pretty cheap. Because uh, it's five pounds, even even with um, international postage, they they ship from America to America, <laughs> from Amazon UK. So you know, even with international postage, it's still pretty cheap. Uh, it's just whether it works on your Blu-ray player. Yeah. I'm sure you can probably stream it somewhere in America as well, where you can't in the UK. I don't know. I, I, I looked to see if any of them were available anywhere, because I wanted to point Yvonne if she could, if she could catch up before we did the Hustler show, but there isn't anywhere that I can find where you can watch any of them. So. Well, oh. I know, like, because I know fun handled the release for um, Summer Wars at the very least, because I recognized at least a lot of the dub yeah. actors for that. As for Wolf Children, uh, God, I don't remember. Cause I've Wolf got, Children I've got... Funimation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funimation. I see it's mm. I think the only one that was, uh, uh, mm. I think the girl at the time was the only one that was Bandai Entertainment. Like you said, they're not around anymore, but I still managed to find the Blu-ray. Oh, that, that's sad if people can't get it. I'm pretty sure America's people will not... be able to find it. It might be on another label by now. Well, I, I, I actually, because I'm really, when I bought uh, the, because I've got the Blu-ray DVD in my hands right now. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember I got that when I was um, staying in uh, San Francisco. That was back in 2012. So hmm. I I found it there. I'm trying to remember exactly where I found it. I think it might have been. Maybe it was when it was when I was taking my trip in Japantown that I found it. I maybe that was it. Why I couldn't? I found it there, and I not you can't find it other elsewhere other than online, I guess. Yeah, you might have to find like a secondhand copy these days with Bandai not around anymore. Ooh. I'd have to research that, Damn. but Damn. <laughs> but yeah, but you can still get it. You can get it in the UK quite easily because it's available for Manga Entertainment who released that. And, um, yeah, and like I said, you can get a box set with that and Summer Wars. Mm-hmm. So Perfect. Should should we go on to Summer Wars now? I would or like to because we... that was actually the first uh, hosted film that I saw, uh, other than um, 
the Digimon movie and the uh, One Piece film. Hmm. That was the first okay. original film that I saw. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, just one other thing. Has anyone actually read read the Go Who Let Through Time book? I don't Ooh, believe no. I have. I... Or, or seen the live action film? Yes, I've seen the film. You have. You have. Seen I have. Really inter- the interesting thing, and I kind of touched on it earlier, um, mm-hmm. the interesting thing is that um, it's hard to explain. It's kind of like, have you seen The Thing? The Thing? The, the, the yes. John Carp- so there was a remake yeah. prequel thing that happened. Yeah. And it was meant to be a prequel, but it had almost... And ident- the same bits. Almost identical yeah. plot to the original. And uh, that's actually what The Girl Who Let Through Time is. Um, it's a prequel remake. It's very, very similar to the original. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not exactly the same. And the only, and the, um, a nice Easter egg is that actually her, um, is it her auntie? Yeah, her, her aunt, uh, her aunt's the yeah. curator, right? The, yeah. Aunt Witch. Aunt Witch. Um, yeah, is the uh, protagonist of the original. Oh, interesting. So that's that how they link together. So you don't have to see it to, you know. I I, I prefer the Hosoda film anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. Back on to Summer Wars. <laughs> Yay, Summer Wars. I'm home, Granny. Oh, you came. I missed you so much. Have you been feeling okay? Never better, dear. I was worried. They told me you've been sick. Summer heat, that's all. Stayed out too long in the sun. That's a relief. Mm -hmm. Uh, hello. Remember what I promised? Uh, That's the boy? Yep, Kenji Koiso. Uh, pleased to meet you. Natsuki and I are both in the physics club at school, so when she asked me... Yeah, so we're going out. Huh? Going out? What? Yeah. Kenji's my fiancé, actually. What? Fiancé? <gasps> yep. Fiancé. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, so, where do I even begin? That Did film. <laughs> like yeah, is. exactly. Well, even, you know... Like when I mentioned before that you know when you when you do see this film if you ha- were if you did see Digimon Adventure our war game you know the similarities there especially during the climax is almost identical Ye- yet yet it is still such a wonderful wonderful film about family like like not just you know not so much like uh just uh main family group, but just, like, an extended family and the relations that, you know, between relatives and so forth. And I just, ah, it's hard to put into words. I just love it so much. And, like, even though, like, there's at least one or two characters in this family that you see throughout this film uh, that you can relate to, like, either you personally relate to or you know someone in your family who acts like that. Well, that better be. The Which... cast is big enough. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a big family. Yeah, I, I mean, i got to say up front, I don't know if it's my favourite film of his. In fact, it's probably my least favourite. Um, and why would that be? Just out of curiosity. Uh, okay, well, the 
The reason I think for me is I'm quite conventional in my tastes. I think really, mm. and I really like the endings of films to be a strong thematic um, moment where essentially the conceit is laid out. And I feel that really strongly in Girl Who Wept Through Time. And I feel that, <clears throat> excuse me, in um, in Wolf Children, in some ways it feels a little bit too much like a conventional climax to me to really, for, for me to understand really where the, what resolution has been solved with the characters. Oh, I can understand. And I can, and, and I can understand what has happened on a on a logical level, what's happened to them. But I don't really get... Um, a, it doesn't get, like, an emotional rise out of me. Like, mm-hmm. I can't last Wolf Children without crying. And I oh, can't, God, yeah, no. And I can't last um, Go After That Through Time without tearing up a bit. Um, Some Wars is slightly lacking in emotion for me. I don't know. However, I, I, I still got a lot of a lot of emotion from that movie, but that's just me personally. No, no, no. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad at all. I think actually it's kind of remarkable how, like you were saying, he presents family, but it's family warts and all. Mm-hmm. It's family. It's mm-hmm. the family members you kind of don't really want to be with, or you know. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a God, combination it's, of all of them. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. It's a combination of everyone in the family, and and. The naturalistic way he he do, he he did that was incredible. Like juggling all of those characters, um, and they kind of do feel like characters. They all feel like real people, even though there are so many of them. And you can kind of mm-hmm. also, at the same time, see them as a group. Um, from what we're talking about, anyone would think having you know if they are not familiar <laughs> with the film, they'd think. Perhaps we're talking about some sort of family domestic drama really? type thing, but well, it is, there but is, it isn't. there is that. Mm. But in the middle of that, there's a whole, whole like virtual reality world thing going on, sci-fi. Well, well, yeah, well, it, it, it's VRE thing in the middle of that, and that's all happening. Around it, so, so yeah, I, with, with something trying to end the world, pretty much. I, I mm. more so yeah. than Miyazaki. So the girl who went through time could have probably been made a Ghibli. There's nothing in it that's mm-hmm. too unGibli. I don't think about about mm-hmm. its sensibilities. Some wars, however, is all about technology, and mm-hmm. Miyazaki being someone who tries every turn to reject technology. Unless it's a plane. Unless it's a plane, oh, yeah, plane. It's a plane. It's a plane or a car or Some something. Some kind of flying machine. Cool. Or something or some 2D animation software. <laughs> um, mm. Hosoda really, and, and as, we was, as we've kind of been saying, he's, he's, he's an observer of life. Um, he observed how people were living in that time and phones were re- a really big part of of um of the world i think and they they've only gotten you know more significant i think really and also the internet in general i mean the um the world of oz which is the virtual reality world that uh yeah. we keep going back and forth between two 
you know, from the the family and the and the you know, in the virtual world. Oz is that you know, virtual reality is basically their internet. It's kind like, of it's internet kind of on steroids. Extension of Facebook, really. It's 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 imagine people being connected as they are on Facebook, but it's sort of like Facebook meets Second Life meets Digimon. <laughs> <laughs> And as we were saying in our last episode, VR is the thing that is is coming through. Yeah. So this film is only going to become more relevant. Well, actually, it, yeah. it is. Um, interesting, it's, interestingly enough, Soda said, um, I think around the time that um, Wolf Children was released, he had a few interviews and he said, you know, the the technology in some wars, those phones already look quite outdated. <laughs> I guess that's, that, that's a problem of making... Uh, films about uh, technology, but 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 the mm. but the interesting thing is that in 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 a in a Miyazaki film or in any Ghibli film, I think where technology would be seen as the antithesis to um, connecting with people and and um, would essentially just be the enemy. Mm-hmm. He really Hosoda uh, really understands that it's yeah it's a part of modern life and it's not a bad thing and and it's, it's both good and evil depend depending on who uses it which is actually not to get too deep into it quite an eastern idea mm-hmm. the idea that nothing is good and nothing is evil that is how um buddhism considers a lot of nature there's no intent in nature it's not good it's not evil it just is mm-hmm. and i think that's set work <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there, Chris. Yeah, there's no, there's yeah, there's no good in them. No. Um, uh, hey. So I, I think that's kind of there in how he treats technology in that film. Yeah. It's a thing that's just there, and people kind of accept it. Um, but it is, but it, it it is also disastrous. It causes. Well, especially when you think about when once you know things start going wrong. And how yeah. much that interconnection, you know, between this virtual world and everything that needs, you know, like, um, like, let's see, what was like all the stuff that was going wrong in that movie? Like, there are fire alarms going off, there are water mains, you know, expl- mm-hmm. you know, bursting with, you know, with water and, uh, you know, traffic, you know, slowed to a complete halt. And you're yeah. just like how much like when you have all that kind of stuff interconnected and something does happen to go wrong, like imagine how much, you know, our society, at least, you know, if, if it's built around that, how much is it, you know, is it going to collapse? And how and how mm. would you go about, you know, trying to fix that or trying to make things better? Mm. And what's really interesting and purposeful is is that the film is mostly set in this very... um Cut off uh, traditional Japanese house in the yeah. middle of the countryside, yeah. and it's it's not happening in the city. It's happening in a place where there is not much else apart from nature. <laughs> even though that, and it doesn't, and nature isn't really even featured very much in the film. Um, it's about what happens inside the house, and mm-hmm. I think that's probably why. You know, when we were introducing the film, we were talking so much about family. Because so lots of the film just happens in and around the house, really. And, mm-hmm. yeah. And were it not for the 
the fantasy sequences with amazing action and animation. You could easily say this is a traditional family drama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then throw the virtual world, you know, virtual world shenanigans in there, and then it's just like, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's still got you still got the really good family drama, and, and you definitely a lot of uh, good humor in there too. But uh, you know, you've also got and, this and, amazing fan, kind of fantasy sci-fi edge. And and there are there are lots of. Um, Like I said, it's really warts and all. There are lots of moments where less than ideal things that do happen between families are depicted. Mm-hmm. Um, things like inevitable deaths of um, of uh, elderly family members and, and things like that. So it's not just a fluff piece. And, it's, um, and estranged family members, too. Right, yeah, of course, mm. yeah. Um I can't say too much about the main character. For me, the fact that the film kind of opens the way it does, it's some, something about it makes me feel um, like it's playing quite hard to its target audience of kids of... I can't even remember the main character's name. Kenji, of, of I his believe age. his name. Kenji's, Ken, of, of Kenji's age. Because it starts and he's like a, <clears throat> he's like a computer nerd and he, and then like a really hot girl like says, comes in and says, oh, does someone want to pretend to be my boyfriend? Um, well, she doesn't, he, like, he doesn't find out that that was actually the job until he's actually at the oh, house with the family, oh, but right, I see, she I tricks see. him. She just comes in and say, hey, do you got, do you want a job? And there's like, That's such a sitcom setup. It, it, I know. It, that's kind of the weird thing about it for me. And there's not too much about the ending which really does much to get away from that. Like, full spoilers, it ends with, like, a kiss. And it's it's very... Um, there's something about it which is almost like a, a fulfillment fantasy going on, which I don't really... I, I can't really read another way. You know what I mean? It's... it's, it's um, it's very much like if if the if the main intended target audience is kids of Kenji's Kenji's age, it's um like they're it's like they're hoping it's like Hasori is hoping really that those boys will project themselves on on Kenji and see themselves as the hero who gets the girl and yada yada, which I. Don't know if that's the most interesting plot. No. Or character no, trajectory. I don't know because I mean, even though he is the main character, he's not a hundred percent the focus. Because I mean, with the no. all these colorful characters, with the you know, in the family, and also everything that happens in um in Oz, it's you know, all those ele- other elements are way too distracting. So. He's still the audience surrogate, but it's just not just you know for that particular age yeah, range. I think. Yeah, and I think I think that's the shortcoming of the film for me is that mm-hmm. he's clearly the audience surrogate. The film starts with him. The film, the film's climax is pretty much due to his actions. Part of it. Um, act, part of it. The climax. Okay. Sure. Yeah. It's actually it's been a while since I've seen it, so. The well, because the. The, on me. Yeah, the climax is a bit, is kind of split in a little bit because yeah, he is 
ultimately who's the one who actually saves the family when the um the thing that's causing the problem on the on the uh in Oz this uh rogue AI that's just kind of causing a muck um basically decides to try and drop this satellite on their house in order after the family kind of banded together in order to stop it from taking over a missile silo um and and everyone <laughs> It's, it's actually, I, I remember that scene because everyone has a mobile phone. Yeah, I know. Like, like you see all and of them like kind of hunched over looking at the, looking at the television, the, the computer screen, all with their, all armed with their phones and just like cheering and like, one of my favorite uh, scenes, I think, is when the, um, the heroine is playing the, the, um, the, the, uh, Hanafuda card game that they're, they're, cause they challenge the AI to a card game in order to try and get back all the accounts that he stole the user accounts that he's been collecting and she's trying to play the game and everyone else in her family is all yelling and screaming and pointing behind her like no you should do this no you should try that and she's like everybody shut up i'm trying to play the game i know how to play it that's that's really funny seeing it in, in the context of a family drama because i'm sure that's how people in big families feel about yeah. anything they try and do. <laughs> no, no, you should do this. Well, what I did when I was younger is this, and <laughs> so from a filmmaking perspective, I'm I'm sure that's that's quite um um intentionally put in there. Yeah, but um, my other favorite part, like, is um of the climax, which I was you know just alluding to with that scene, is when she's yeah Natsuki, the female heroine, is uh, basically challenges the. Uh, AI to that uh, Hanafuda game. And then mm. basically, you know, they, they keep playing and playing, going back and forth, and then it looks like it, you know, it's all over, and then all of a sudden, you know, they were able to, other people who are, con- you know, watching this via the web, basically kind of join in and throw in their support to the family and to Natsuki so they can, uh, so that she can win. Right, and, and, and for those seen uh, our war game, the digi- the second Digimon short. Yeah, it was the exact. Lift- it was exact same climax. But even so, it's straight. It's lifted straight. I still like it a lot, though. I still teared up. I oh, can't no, explain I'm, why. I'm, I'm not saying no, actually. I, I'm not saying it's 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 bad at all that he's borrowed from himself. I'm saying it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and and. What I was saying earlier about him, a key part of his development being those movies, I think, is is just kind of uh, it, it's it's interesting to see to see that link still that he still mm-hmm. has for those for those works. Something you were just saying, Dan, about um, about the way it ends is basically you know the big romantic okay. moment or whatever. Yeah. It got me got it makes me think of something that I thought of yesterday when I was watching Girl Who Left Through Time is the fact that, you know, although romance is a part of that mm. film, it's not it's not the centre no. of it, really. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It would it would be it would be so easy for that to be the you know, the centre is oh she has to end up with the guy or whatever and that's the that's how it's good. I mean not, be. not being too and, blunt about it though, I care about Makoto and her Relationship with those two guys and with with um, with Jackie, mm-hmm. I I actually feel a connection between them two. Whereas with 
Kenji, I feel like it's just a little bit like, how cool is this? I'm with the hot girl from school. A little bit. <laughs> well, I think it starts out that way. I mean, this is just my, from my perspective watching the film. It, you know, maybe it kind of does come back around to that a little at the end, possibly. But I think it's more of like, you know, it starts out his perception of that's, you know, she's just this really hot, you know, girl he knows, he kind of knows from school. But then, you know, after staying with her her family, he gets to know her a bit more on a a personal level to the point, you know, that he actually, you know, can appreciate her as a person. And, you know, basically in in the environment that she came from, too, because he mentions in the film that, you know, he really just enjoyed being with the family and you know when he himself never really had that same kind of experience okay okay i so, i just think in i just i i don't know i don't know what else to say i just i don't feel it and i don't think that's okay in terms of like character development it's 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 as strong as the girl who left through time or, or um <clears throat> or even one piece maybe but definitely will for sure <laughs> Um, that's a bit harsh. That's, that's yeah, I is, mean, especially with the way the is, film ends. Is, is Summer Wars is good, and actually, what's what's interesting about this all is that it's a really different film to the girl who went through time as well. It is. They could mm-hmm. almost have not been made by the same person. I mean, there. If you know his films, then there are touches there which you can say, "Oh yeah, he definitely made this." But um, I think I think it's cool that he. He's he's comfortable with moving around. Mm-hmm. It's possibly not going to be quite so timeless, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to have elements <laughs> that make it obviously. Maybe. It's well, actually, there's, some, there's, there's something got... that's kind of nostalgic about <laughs> using that word again about the Digimon shorts he made with the technology because um, in the mid '90s, you know, Digimon was all about. Oh, how exciting! Computers, the internet, the internet was a yeah, new thing. Yeah, that's where that's where it thrived on. And and mm-hmm. the, uh, the the second Digimon short he made is just like, um, uh, characters like lugging around huge CRTV monitors. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, like giant tower um, computers, like lugging them around, and then getting modems set up and there are wires everywhere. And there's something like almost quite um cyberpunky about it. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe the same kind of fondness will be felt for those clunky two thousand and eleven smartphones. <laughs> if you well, I, mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's that terribly out of date, at least from when I recently re- no, you know, rewatched the watch summer wars but at the same time i do get what you're saying i would like to hope that it's one of those films that's kind of like it's even with the emphasis on technology it's going to be more of a time capsule film instead of a you know a sure dated film yeah. yeah it's going to be one of these things where uh, this is what this is what like vr looks like from the perspective of of 2011 well yeah what you were what you were saying about last week about looking forward to VR, basically look, people looking back at what we used to think about VR and going, ah, there we go. It's the it's fools. Sort of that. Yeah, it re- yeah, it really is. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, yes. so actually, at, at this point, I was a really huge Hasoda fan, and I was like mm-hmm. importing art books to <laughs> to uh, to just oh, pour wow. over the um, character designs and um, actually the same character designer, I think, uh, Sadamoto, who designed the characters in Evangelion most famously. Um, oh, wow. yeah. was working with, um, Hasoda at the time on Go Let Through Time and, um, Summer Wars. I, I love the character designs in, in all Yeah, of me them. too. Mm. Mm. <laughs> he's, he's got, he's got a really good handle on that full anime thing where things look so simple but have a lot of character. And someone's character can be conveyed in, like, the way they wear their clothes or the, or the you know, the clothes they wear and it's very naturalistic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's certainly, um, part of his, his appeal. So we're going to get on to Wolf Children. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm ready. Are, are people finished with Summer Wars? I am. Yeah, I will. Oh. Yep, I was going to suggest that yeah. we went on to that, seeing as we yes. are already. Um, okay, so does anyone... Do, do, do people remember when Wolf Children was, was um, let's say, coming out when the first images were released? I unfortunately missed out on that because I only discovered Wolf Children was a thing. I was walking around my local, you know... DVD store in one of the, my local wow. malls, and I just kind of, I I just kind of locked on to the um the DVD box, and I'm, mm. when it was already been it had already been released, and I just kind of looked at it, and then I saw him hosted his name on. I'm like, okay, you're coming home with me. <laughs> wow. I I think I remember like seeing seeing like images mm. released on like A and N or whatever of when it was coming out, but. Right. I don't really have a particular memory of being, you know, I was just aware that he, he was having, I think by then I must, you know, this must have been after I was aware of who he was. Right. And I was, I was like, so I that I, you know, I had, and sorry, Chris, I cut you off. I just think I was anticipating a new film from him at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I think at this point I was following him on Twitter and he was he oh, was yeah. tweeting a lot, and I was following him on Twitter in Japanese. Yeah, in Japanese. But I was following him in the hope that he would like tweet pre-production artwork or something, and that never happened. But anyway, uh. yeah. So um, I think like the poster came out, and I gotta say, when I saw the poster, I was I was really not hundred um, percent into it. It it mm-hmm. really looked to me like, and and this is. I'm just remembering how I felt looking at the poster. And it was one of my favorite anime directors, animation directors, directors, you know, um, in general. Mm-hmm. And I remember just looking at the poster and thinking, this looks like some deviant art. Like, <laughs> piece of, like, I don't know what it was. And I thought, I was like, oh no, it's going to be some, oh no, all the furries are going to leap on this. And, what the how the hell is this going to be? What's going I, on? And I then the trailer admit, uh, came the out. Exact same 
a reaction yeah. when I saw the box art and was like, hmm. Lots of people did. Lots of people did. And then the trailer came out. Uh, the trailer looked pretty good. I was still like, oh no, it's it's really that. Oh no, and there's a man thing, and she, oh no, she screws the thing, and <laughs> oh god no. So that was how I was before I saw the film, <laughs> and then um, at the London Film Festival in 2012, it was playing, and I was so excited because it had only come out in Japan that summer. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. Come on, Dan. You, 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 uh, you're a soda fan. Do it. <laughs> and I, and I saw the film and it is such a special film for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me. And I think it's his best film. Definitely. It's, it's my it's, favorite, even though I love Summer Wars. I, if yeah. I, if you had to twist my wrist and make me pick only one of his films that was my favorite, I would have to say Wolf mm-hmm. Children. It's astonishing. I was, I was completely, from the, the moment the film ended, I, I was, I wasn't even thinking that's a classic. I was just overwhelmed by how much I loved this film. And looking at it coming after Summer Wars, I think is important in as much as it's a really mature film. It is. It can be watched by children. I'm not sure if children would get much out of it. But they would be, they would, would be really, um, well, yeah, sad, especially in the, uh, how sad the, you know, the first, you know, couple, you know, half hour of the film gets. But mm. I think if, you know, if kids would be attracted to anything in this film, it would probably be the whole fact that, you know, there are kids in this film and they can turn into puppy dogs. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that'll like, keep like, attention for a little while, but oh, the rest of the film, you know, how it's more focused on the mother, not so much the kids, might lose yeah. a few, like, kids with, if they've got a short attention span, like most kids do. Mm-hmm. No, well, yeah, and, and it gets really, like, we've touched on how he's, he's played around with, like, f- traditional, um, like, classic Japanese, uh, family drama, um, feelings in in films and his films have sort of have had elements of that but this is mm-hmm. like a a full-on family drama it's it's all about the characters and even though the fact that they are physically wolves is a big part of it there is there's a lot going on in in terms of the symbolism and 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 um and how he plays with what that means for the characters their wild mm-hmm. sides, their feral sides, what it means for them to be human, what it means for them to live. It's, I don't know, it's, I can't say anything more because it's hands down my favourite film of his. Okay, I've only seen it once, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I I should have like reread my review because I know I really enjoyed it. I'm pretty sure, I, pretty sure it's a force four stars I think mm-hmm. is what I gave it when mm-hmm. I reviewed it um, but I'm kind of the opposite because I've already said that I think my favourite film of his is sure yeah let through time and at the moment although I, I think I need to rewatch both Summer Wars and Wolf Children 
if we are doing the the whole ranking thing at the moment, it's kind of a sliding scale <laughs> for me. I think the Girl Who Let Through Time is probably his tightest film. It's really focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has a lot going for it. Wolf Children is long. It's two hours. It uh, is very long. And, mm-hmm. it, and, it, and it follows... It's like one of our... <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it follows... Um, you know kids as they grow up. Hana and her two children, Ame and uh, Yuki. Mm, it's, uh, 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 snow and rain. So, uh, is that right? Really? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, yeah, you, yeah, I think you got it right. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's where I could see Wolf Children not being someone's favourite, where it is like a long Sunday afternoon movie where you just have to let, you have to put aside an afternoon for it, really. Whereas mm-hmm. Go Home Every Time, you could watch in an evening and, and it buzzes along pretty quickly and it, it's pacing and it's there in spirit very much. You know, it's very much like the main character, the Go Home Every Time. It's an energetic, like young woman who's like excited about life and is, Figuring out who it is and what is what, what it wants to do, whereas Wolf Children is a lot more um, contemplative and meditative of like how people live and mm-hmm. what it means to like raise someone or what it means to find out. There's there's so much going on in this in this film that to be a child of two worlds really because that's you know both Ame and Yuki being both you know human and uh, wolf, as it were, you know, mm. constantly shifting back and forth between the two, like what it means to, you know, choose which of those worlds do you want to be in because you can't live in both of them for long without drawing too much attention to yourself. Yeah, and he he, he does it in such a in, in such a way that doesn't cheat either with the fantasy. The fantasy's not just a mask. Um, he really, like, uh, he he goes um, he goes the way and like no really if, if 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 there was a kid that was like a puppy dog and the mother was like living in this apartment and I guess the neighbors would be shouting and then the authorities would come round and mm-hmm. you know he really thinks about going right the way back to Digimon. What is it? What, 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 fantasy's not worth anything unless it's contrasted with the vanity of the real world as it is. And that's part of why Wolf Children really speaks to me as well, is because the he's just continuing that thing. And I think he 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 he, um, he perfected it in Wolf Children. The thing of really taking pains to depict the details of just modern life and how people live and the sorts of spaces they're in and how they interact mm-hmm. with their spaces. Um, and how and, what it means to be a mother, for goodness sake, because Hana goes through, you know, you, you, they, it does, the movie does not shy away from like all the stuff that she has to deal with in order to raise these two kids. You know, the fact that she really can't take them to a doctor because the fact that, you know, 
you, should she take, like, of the way the, the film states, should she take her kids to a pediatrician or a vet? It could be anyone's guess. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> a, that was a great moment. And, yeah, and it's, and from that, I guess you could see it as a, as a metaphor for, like, how am I meant to raise these kids? And what she does Not is, knowing what, is, what is, you're is, doing when you're trying to raise a kid. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, uh, so the biggest spoiler in the film, and I should hope that if someone's listened this far that they've probably seen Wolfram and they don't mind it being spoiled because it is kind of the whole reason the film exists, unfortunately. You can still enjoy um, even being spoiled uh, on it, I think, though. But skip ahead. If you, we'll, if you... we'll make sure there's some spoiler warnings cool. in the in the post. So about twenty Somewhere. minutes into the film, um, uh, Hannah's uh, man, lover, wolf man, man, wolf man, man lover, dog, dog bloke, um, doesn't return home one day, and being a wolf, he does his thing at night. He's probably scavenging around for food, trying to support his family the only way he knows how because he's a wolf really in his heart um and it's the most devastating thing I've seen in an animated film I could not help but ball in a long time I didn't even ball because I was so shocked by how amazingly immediate it was and and it's mm. it's such a, a touching and true and honest depiction of death. Um, I thought it was a happy film up till then. I was like, oh, happy yeah, film. no, oh, you didn't you didn't feel it coming. <laughs> I no, I, I, I remember being genuinely like yeah, just not the wind out of my sails. I was like, I I had no idea that yeah. was coming. Yeah, like and, you see them and... fall in love, and then you see them get ready mm. to raise a child, and then they have the babies, and then all of a sudden, bam. And yeah, and don't... and the bam is is this amazing shot where Hannah is out with her kids on her back as she can't leave them alone. <clears throat> She's so worried. Um, she doesn't know where her her man wolf, who doesn't actually have a name, I don't think, in, in the film. No, they do not give him a name, which is kind has, of sad. Has um has gone? Maybe has a name. His name. Maybe, maybe has a name in the credits. No, it's just called Wolfman. Um. <laughs> Uh, he's not in it long enough unfortunately because he seemed really nice and she's in the rain and she's searching for him and then she's crossing a bridge over a sort of canal is that so you don't get too attached to him do you reckon maybe I, think, I don't know maybe maybe it is yeah and <laughs> and uh, she stops and she's holding an umbrella and the umbrella drops and just dirty and dead, like roadkill, in the in the river the reservoir thing, is this dead wolf. And you go, shit! Oh my god, that's, that's him. That's him. He's dead, and that's it. And if that wasn't enough, a garbage truck appears <laughs> with like a harsh flashing red light the mundanity of life just hammered back into you yeah that 
this is not a fantasy. This is just some dead wolf that they've had to package up into a into a bin bag and chuck into the back of a of a, of a um of a refuse vehicle. And you see Hana running, still with the kids on her back, dropping her umbrella and just running, like, in just complete and utter despair toward the truck, trying, you know, to stop them. But, you know, what can she do? Because, you know, she can't say anything, and she, hell if they believe her. And so she, all she can do is just sit there crying, you know, as the truck drives off and, you know, just in the rain. Which so harshly and honestly depicts how cruel death is as a main character dying and then immediately being chucked into a bin. It's 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 almost funny because of how harsh it is and immediate, but that's what death is. It's unfair and and harsh and um and 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 cruel and, and turns life into something you know that's not it's uh if you know, with with even twenty minutes into the film, like watching it for the first time, I was like, "Well, this is this is astonishing. It could do anything from here, and I, I'll go with it." Yeah, it, it it definitely the fact that it was able to hit its audience with a blow like that, and you know, like use that as one of the major hooks, because now that Hannah's alone with two children that she only. She only like she's never had to she's never had kids before, and that they're both half you know half of something else that she has no idea how to take care of makes it all the more interesting to you know to want to stick with her and see how how she if if and how she manages it. Sure, and and also seeing reading the film on the other like metaphorical level, that's probably how all mothers feel. Oh yeah. First time. You, you you kind of feel I'm I'm sure you kind of feel well, I understand how to look after me, but what the hell are you? You're just oh no, you've been sick again? Oh no, don't tear that up. You'll die, you know. And and um Especially for single mothers. I mean, I know this I'm sure this film sure. would probably resonate with a lot of single mothers. Mm. It, I think it resonates with yeah, definitely single mothers, but but, but any any parents maybe, but um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely mothers. I was, I was. Um, there's something really. You, do you know when you see a film and you're so excited and you want to share it with someone? Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't mm-hmm. wait to show my mom this film. <laughs> yeah, same <laughs> like with on, my mom. On, on on the day of like the DVD release, I I got it and uh, I was like, we have to watch this. Well, it is. It's basically it's a mums are awesome yeah, film. Isn't it, it really is because it shows. I mean, Hannah goes through her fair deal of you know hardships. You know, the, the, the film, like I said, the film doesn't shy away from that, but also a lot of the positives too. But sadly, I wouldn't be able to show it to my mum because she to this day won't watch The Lion King because she knows there's a sad bit. Oh that, yeah! So. Mm. Wow. Yeah, she. She had to leave the room with in the lamp for time. Oh my goodness! Um, she was scared yeah. of dinosaurs. So, <laughs> no. just sad bits. It seems she doesn't like the sad, the sad bits with animals. She doesn't oh, like them. But you can't watch them. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. It, but it's, yeah. it's it's what it's what makes the film. Mm. Yeah, well. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You can she can read the tie-in manga. She <laughs> <laughs> won't watch the movie. Um. So yeah, I was I was I was just taken with with Wolf Children. It was. It was such a beautiful film, and it really yeah, is. it's kind of long, but I I don't care because not only does it really depict how parents feel, it it depicts how siblings grow up with one another, yeah, in very yeah. unidealistic terms as well. It shows some ferocious um fights that all siblings have. Oh yeah. Um, but in in this film, it's heightened because at these points the kids transform into wolves. Yeah, they're they're, they're they... like turning into dogs, and they start yeah, brawling in the in the living room, and the mom's just like running after them, like, oh my god, how do I break this up? And when they bicker, like she's scared, and and when they bicker, they tear the place apart, run into walls and tear them down, and cabinets and tear doors off things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but that's not only true with <laughs> children who turn into dogs. <laughs> so, um, just as an album of something that depicts life experiences, Wolf Children is just in- incredible for me. And and uh, there there are so many um, elements to it. I love. I love the animation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really. You know, a continuation of of his his brilliant um, sort of like observation of not just human behavior this time, but also animal behavior somewhat. Mm-hmm. And you know, the backgrounds are gorgeous, and there are lots of. Um, I think this film people have compared to Totoro, and there are a couple of nods. Mm-hmm. I think. Because it's yeah. about family moving from the city into the countryside, um, and, and being surrounded to adapt to live there. Sure, and being surrounded by traditional um, images of nature mm-hmm. uh, in, in in Japan. Um, yeah, I could. Unfortunately, I could go on about this film for hours and hours, but. Uh, I don't I, think we have that time. No, no, we don't. Yeah. And it's kind of pointless um, because the only thing I'd be trying to communicate is how it feels to watch it. And the best way to do that is just to watch it. Mm-hmm. So go do that. So well, go do that, listeners, if you haven't seen it already. It seems to be that, that Hosoda seems to be interested in things with... Uh, these days, because <laughs> Boy and the Beast is going, it seems to be on the surface at least, it seems to have like a more direct connection with um, um, Wolf Children than any mm-hmm. of his other films right um, and, and the early buzz, it's been very good, but <laughs> basically what you you were saying about Wolf Children I have Dan, when you were talking about what Looking at the pre-product, you know, the art mm-hmm. stuff and the, and 
I've kind of felt like that about what I've seen of Boy and the Beast, to be honest. <laughs> right. So I'm hoping hoping this isn't a continued thing where I go, right, but I love Girl Who Let Through Time, and then... <laughs> I'd rather be... I'd rather... Each one I'd rather um, uh, uh, have my expectations lowered <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I can really enjoy something, I think, than, uh, than hype something up and... Watch I it agree. and not have any idea whether I think it's good or bad. Yeah, but from what people, the reviews that have been coming out from like non-animation people have been really positive. I think so, I, I, I've, mm. I've basically been trying to avoid as much as possible. Um, I saw, I saw a trailer. I saw the first trailer release, mm. and I heard a little bit about about the film because when I saw when I saw Wolf Children, I had seen. A teaser trailer and um, the poster, and not mm-hmm. knowing anything going in was just the most amazing experience. So I'm trying to recreate that a little bit with um with how I'm approaching Boy and the Beast, but it does seem to be um very much more an adventure movie. Yeah, it does. Boys, mm-hmm. boys picture than um than family drama this time, and. Not to say that there won't be room for heart. It seems like um, focus will be on it being an adventure film. Well, see, I think I remember basically people have been saying that the central relationship is very strong. So, oh, I'm sure, but it's it's still an adventure film. The the central relationship mm-hmm. and the pewter is very strong, mm-hmm. but it's still an adventure film. So next time Dan is on the show, he will have heard. He will have, I would have heard it as well. Beast. You will have heard it as well. <laughs> you will have read it. Yeah, uh, I will have. Maybe. Yeah. Is it subtitled? No, I will have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll be very Extremely. jealous. Extremely, depending on my <laughs> on my verdict. And I'm sure Dan will share his non-spoilery thoughts on the next episode. I'll spend all weekend trying to figure out how to. Not spoil it, <laughs> or at least on a future episode, whenever that may be. Well, it will be. Next <laughs> episode. Uh, um, so we've had a lot of fun talking about Hosoda. It's been a great chat, and thank guys for having a a fascinating chat as always. Hey, thanks. Um, it's been it's been great to talk to you guys, um, and mm-hmm. and share. Yeah, and, and share a love of, of, of Soda because actually most of the, I, I realise that most of the films that, of his that I've seen have just been myself sat at my computer. Yeah, yeah, same here, kind of. <laughs> I mean, I've, the only time I ever watched it with other, um, like, I've seen a couple of them with my family, like Summer Wars and Wolf Tone, and I've seen with my family, and I was introduced to Summer Wars via my good uh, college buddies. But other than, like, I haven't, like, with the girl, especially with the girl who left, through time, I haven't really had a chance to really listen or talk to someone else about that, or you know, really get into deep discussion about either Summer Wars or Wolf Children. So, thank you very much for giving me that opportunity because they are all very special movies. Mm. It's been a pleasure as always. Um, and everybody, if you haven't done, go out and watch the Girl Who Let Through Time. Go and watch Summer Wars, and go and watch um, Wolf Children. And when it comes out. What's Boy the Beast? And I guess that Digimon did it. 
Go ahead and paste it. I've got to put a link to Digimon in, in the show notes because those shorts are great. And yeah, those shorts are amazing. Yeah. If you can find them and watch them. They're 20 know, minutes. Do, it's so. an episode of, like, a sitcom. Don't watch an episode of The Office. Watch, <laughs> you know, watch, uh, watch one of these shorts because they really are great. I just got to go watch <laughs> Oh, that's a real. That's a. I'm not that's, finished that's yet. That's a hard choice for Dan. Rick and Morty or Digimon <laughs> shorts. Um, but of course you can catch up with everything that we are doing on animationforadults.com. You can find us on Tumblr. You can find us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at AFA Blog, and you can find our previous episodes of the podcast on iTunes, on podcast.com and on Stitcher and if you enjoy the show perhaps leave us a nice review um, and you can follow me at Mr Christor on Twitter and I probably should have explained before that Mr is spelled out as a word <laughs> not M-R it's Mr and then it's Chris and then T-O-R so <laughs> that's how you spell it and that's also the same on Facebook and you can find Rachel at, uh, on Twitter at fail to ninja and Dan. on Twitter at Hamu. And we will see you very soon. Well, we will. You will hear us. <laughs> you will hear us very soon. We won't see you at all. We won't even hear you unless um, you write us a review. Yeah, or send us some email at podcast at animationforadults dot com, and we'd very much like to hear from you. Um, but yes, we will catch you very soon for another episode of the AFA podcast. So, good night, everybody. Bye. Bye.